Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I am your one-star host, Wally Pip, and as always, I am joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Gerard Hurricane Martinez. Gerard, obviously, last week was a very different show, but I am back. I guess I haven't been replaced because I'm technically here right now, and it's not Shotgun Spratling, even though Shotgun Spratling did an amazing job last week. But the only question I have for you, Gerard, is did you miss me, or did you not even notice I was gone? Of course, we all missed you, and Shotgun did a fantastic job. But we know you're the number one cilantro boy. You're the number one guy. And so you make the ship go. We decided, hey, two weeks off was a little bit much. So we we, we slid shotgun in there, did a fantastic job. And I think the show went well. And hopefully we can continue our momentum right into the month of June and the onslaught of official visits USC is going to have in the next few weeks. This is actually a very special episode because this is the season finale of season one, quote unquote, season one of this podcast. We've mentioned it several times that, you know, we're trying to figure out when to, you know, start the new kind of cycle that it is of, you know, each season for each uh, podcast or for, for us, you know, because obviously recruiting goes in cycles 2024 2025 whatever you get it so it just made sense to make them sort of seasons and we decided you know to bring it back around to usc's golden hour from the first from the first uh lincoln riley recruiting uh mega weekend but we're not going to wait exactly until the golden hour part two we're actually just going to start it off in june so next episode you hear after this week will be the official start of season two so we're going to do a little bit of a Looking back at the season, I put a thread up on the Peristyle for fans to leave season one exit interviews, surveys, uh, you know, the, a review of what they thought of season one, things that they liked, bits, favorite quotes, uh, some suggestions moving forward, things they'd like to see from us moving forward as this podcast, you know, develops and grows even further from what it started with. Gerard. I already know what episode number this is. Do you have a guess of how many episodes were in season one? I have zero guess. I kind of think that it's a little bit deceiving to call these seasons because technically we really don't stop. To have a season, you have to have an off season, Chris. And while no, we were we, off a week, it's we don't need writers. Week. We don't need writers for this show. There's no writer strike with us. We're just yeah, rolling on. Writers is me. <laughs> right for the show so technically there's no real season we're just doing it because i don't know we just kind of feel like we need to document uh the cycles and sort of the longevity of the show i'm sure chris felt like maybe this was going to be a short-lived thing i didn't really have any expectations for it i did the recruiting rant on my own and kind of just did it because people wanted to have 
that sort of concise information. It was a big pain in the butt to do mostly because of myself. And I am very anal retentive when it comes to editing myself and listening to myself talk and writing and everything like that. So I was kind of over the top with being concise, answering people's questions. And of course, you know, speaking sometimes redundantly about the recruiting process, answering the same question over and over and over. Why can't USC land offensive tackles? Why can't USC beat out Oregon for wide receivers? So on and so forth. So it got, it became a little bit uh, monotonous answering those questions over and over again and, and spending so many hours just listening to myself and hating uh, my own voice and uh, the way I was answering the question and doing it like nine, 10 times. And uh, that ends up being a very long process. So this is a little more carefree. Uh, we go about it um, in, a, in a different approach. And people liked it for the most part. Obviously, there are those that still want more concise information. Just get to it. I don't want to sit here and listen to a two, three-hour podcast. I don't want you guys to uh, get derailed in the conversation and start talking about TikTok videos uh, or TikTok videos or anything that has to do with uh, aliens and uh, conspiracy theories astral physics and theoretical physics yeah stick to the to the recruiting that's what we're here we're subscribed for and um i understand that you know to some extent we, we certainly don't want to get into the weeds about uh topics that don't relate to usc football or usc football recruiting but nevertheless you know when you're talking for two to three hours yes there are those opportunities where sometimes especially if it's in connection to an actual interview and the only reason we got to talking about that is because we were talking with Xavier Jordan and how he wants to be an astronomy major and talking about why he wanted to be astronomy major. And we sort of uh, ended up um, digressing <laughs> to a completely different topic, but nevertheless uh, it's interesting to hear people talk and what they like about it and what they don't like about the podcast. A lot of people uh, saying that my volume is a little too low and seeing that they like the podcast as much as they do. I don't know if we should change that. That might be <laughs> the reason they like the podcast. They don't actually hear everything that I'm saying, Chris. So they they hear it. They just wish it was a little bit louder. And I don't know if you could tell from last week's episode because there was obviously a lot of new things going on with Shotgun being the uh, honorary Slauncher Boy host for last week. But I don't know if it went unnoticed, but you actually had a new microphone and you sound very, very clear, at least to me. And you sounded clear when I listened to the, the podcast. So I like that new upgrade for you. Uh, people did sit, still say that they wanted you to be louder, so we have turned the volume up on your mic for this week. So hoping that yields some better results. We'll, we'll, we'll play with it as we go to find the perfect volume level for Gerard, who, you know, can just jump out of nowhere and, you know, go really close to the mic like he did with the Midlothian last week or maybe yell something out and spike the mic. So we'll see what happens as we move forward. But you do have a new mic. That's an upgrade for you. And for next week, I'm very excited to tease that there will be a couple upgrades for the podcast, you know, just taking us in the next step, just, you know, like with uh, how it looks and how it sounds, uh, wink, wink, maybe uh, an intro, an official intro for us, maybe a little bit more uh, paint job for when you, you know, look at it on your Apple podcast or Spotify podcast, whatever, something I, I made for that. So I'm excited to unveil the unveil those next week at the start of quote unquote season two and also an extra little bonus uh, that I might announce next week or maybe uh, in a few weeks going into June, but I'm very excited about that. But all those things will be saved for season two. Right now we have to wrap up season one. We do have a lot to talk about. Obviously USC had a very 
you know, big kind of opening official visit weekend here at the end of May with some impressive out of out of state guys coming in a couple five stars. You guys talked about it last week going into that. We're going to talk about the aftermath of that. So going to talk about all those visitors. There's been some more visits that have been scheduled moving forward into June. We're going to get into those. You know, a new emoji. We have an emoji sighting that popped up a couple hours ago. You know, as we're, I was getting ready to come into the studio. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Everyone wants to talk about Aiden Breland and his rise into a five-star defensive tackle. So we're going to talk about that. And then there's some other, you know, small stuff to get to. You know, uh, Ryan was at uh, the Long Beach Tournament of Champions. He talked a little bit about that on the Parastyle podcast. But Jarrett Five-Star Perez was also there. And then Gerard went out to a giant skills camp showing the O-line, D-line some love out there at their sort of, you know, environment where they can uh, battle head to head. So and then, as I said, in lieu of listener questions, we're going to get into that exit survey and hear from the fans, the pair style about what they love about the show, what they want to see us do better and all those kind of things. So lots to get to. And before we jump into the cold open, as always, just a quick thank you to the official sponsor of the composite two star recruits, Meredith Schlosser, the top real estate agent in Los Angeles. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com and check out her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. Give her a follow and see what she has cooking up there in the housing market. All right, Gerard, we're here. You got a new mic. Let's do this. We had some big official visits over the weekend for May 19th. I'm just going to run down the quick list before we get into them officially. You read through them last week, Midlothian. Texas five-star wide receiver Brian Wesco, Buford, Georgia five-star defensive tackle Edric Houston, Converse, Texas Judson four-star safety Miles Davis, not to be mistaken for the jazz legend Miles Davis, Humble, Texas, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, three-star cornerback Braylon Connolly. Gerard, you are welcome to pronounce his high school if you want. Atascacita. There you go, Atascacita. And then we had a cancellation a Phoenix three-star running back, Christian Clark, he did not make it out for his official visit. That usually, you know, says says something. So we'll, we'll get into that. And then there was a big unofficial visit from Upper Marlboro three-star edge, Obina Onwuka. And I talked to him last night and put up a story this morning about that. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. But Gerard, a pretty good start to the uh, the official visit summer that all schools are about to to really get going into for June. Yeah, USC in the past have not brought in many official visitors during the month of May, certainly not high school official visitors. And so this weekend just sort of kind of happened. You know, it was over like a two-week period. All of a sudden, you had a few guys that were ready to come in and be on campus. And several of these players had not been on campus before. So we kind of joked last week, this was the uh, – pray in May official visit weekend <laughs> because you had guys like Edric Houston, uh, the, you know, five-star, 6'5", 255-pound defensive lineman uh, out of Buford. USC has probably in the last three cycles offered more than a dozen kids out of Buford, Georgia, and haven't had much luck with any of them. And so Houston, one of the few that actually had taken the official visit. And shout out to Steve Wiltfong, our national recruiting editor, 
who got everybody. He was actually visited USC this past week, and Rockstar Steve, who uh, I joke with him today, I said, "Man, you, you should uh, move to Texas, dude. You're like getting all these Texas kids on the phone uh, before uh, you know they're even on the plane back to Texas." And he says, "I don't need to. I'm 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 good where I'm at." So uh, he he had uh, interviews and reviews with each of these prospects. I won't get into that too much because these are VIP articles, uh, but certainly with Houston, said a lot of good things about USC. Um, I think certainly that's the one player that is a, a bit of an outlier in terms of, you know, can USC really get traction with them? This was a traction mm-hmm. visit for yeah. Edric Houston. Uh, he's got uh, official visits lined up for Clemson June 2nd. He's got Georgia uh, June 9th. He's got Ohio State June 16th. And then he finishes up with Alabama June 23rd. And Everybody thinks immediately when they see that list, oh, man, this kid's going to be going to Georgia, right? You know, back-to-back national champion, local kid. But I've actually heard more about Alabama with him. And so, you know, they have the last visit. They may be the team to beat. He did rave about USC and said this was a great official visit for him. And, you know, he's going to go through the process and see what these other schools have to say. Uh, It's going to be a tough pull for USC, but nevertheless – uh, and and something that I think was very, uh, it was a good observation by the Paro style when they said, you know, it's not all about the impression you're making for that prospect right here, right now. It's not all about, okay, trying to get his commitment before the end of the summer. Some of this is also building relationships because potentially some of these prospects may end up in the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. And so you do have to kind of look long term at this and, and you do have to look at the recruiting process at the high school level as something that uh, it goes beyond just the present cycle. And it could be something that you're doing to kind of be in a good position if there is a transfer down the line. So uh, I think that's a, a good take and uh, potentially maybe that's something that, you know, USC is thinking as well. Um, we talked about Brian Wesco as well, the five-star wide receiver from Midlothian. And we love that name. It just sounds so epic. Midlothian cometh, become a Trojan. And uh, <laughs> he he liked the visit as well. And uh, Steve talked to his dad a little bit. I think he is still kind of getting to know USC. In some yeah. ways, you could call this attraction visit as well. Uh, he was just offered a scholarship this month by USC. And so the Trojans are kind of a new option for him. Los Angeles, uh, he has visits set. Clemson's in there again, June 2nd. So this is another uh, guy that's going to be on that official visit weekend for the Tigers, which looks like it's going to be a really big official visit weekend for them. I think last year is the first year they actually had official visits during the summer. And if I recall... Anna Hickey actually wrote an article saying that there were going to be 31 official visitors that first week of June for Clemson. So I don't follow Clemson recruiting too much. I don't know what type of success rate they had with that many kids on campus, but it looks like June 2nd is kind of their golden hour weekend. And they've got a couple of these guys on this list uh, that are set to officially visit Clemson that weekend. Um, Wesco will follow up with LSU uh, on the 9th, and then he will have TCU in the 16th. And TCU is is kind of got a little bit of momentum there. I think it's close to home. And his sister, 
who was originally going to Oklahoma and playing soccer, just transferred out of Oklahoma. Oklahoma was a school that everybody thought he was going to go to because that's where his sister was. And things have sort of opened up subsequently because of that transfer. I believe she's at North Texas now. Oklahoma is still working to get an official visit. They might still be involved with him, uh, but it has opened up his recruitment quite a bit. So I think, you know, with him, you get the sense that he's still getting to know USC. He's going to go through the visit process. But there are a lot of things, I think, off the field that really line up well for him in terms of business school, um, academically, what he's looking for in a school. Uh, I think there's there's plenty of angles there that USC can play outside of just the great offense they have and certainly uh, some things that from a development standpoint, USC can sell at the wide receiver position. So um, that's an interesting one. Uh, at USC, the majority of the receiver prospects that they're going to bring in during the summer are all coming in that June 16th weekend. So uh, we can talk a little bit about that later. But we talked about it last week already. Just, you know, Ryan Pelham and uh, Xavier Jordan, um, Draylon Miller, all those guys that they have at the receiver position that they're trying to recruit kind of coming in on the same weekend, which is interesting. So they get uh, Bryant Wesco in a week earlier. And, and I just um, wanted to add about Brian Resco. He is a high level track athlete as well in the high jump, long jump, triple jump. His dad was a very good uh, track athlete at Louisiana Tech. You know, he's in their Hall of Fame. So he does have a track background as well. I'm not sure how much of track plays into him, you know, like a Roderick Pleasant or it's something he's definitely going to try to do both moving forward. But it does help that USC does, you know, has a good track program as well. So that that might be something that will factor in down the line. Just wanted to add that. And um, and then you have the two defensive backs from Texas. And, you know, I think with Braylon Connolly, that's a name that we're familiar with. He took his unofficial visit to USC, really liked it from a Tuscasita, uh, Texas. He's a three-star cornerback, a guy that looks like a boundary corner, very long. He's very good on tape. He really tackles well in space. He's one of those few defensive backs that, you see on initial contact, he has some form tackles. He takes guys right off their feet and he doesn't have those type of sort of shoelace type of tackles or those type of tackles where he's just trying to slow down the runner. And so I liked what I saw from him on film. And he is a guy that I think of the group, just because of his familiarity and some of the things he had said about USC coming away from his unofficial visit during the spring, you felt like, Okay, this is potentially one of the players that might be a little more apt to make a decision. And so, you know, he liked his visit. Um, you know, again, you want the details, check out Steve's article. I do kind of wonder in the grand scheme of things where he sits on the board for USC. So mm -hmm. I, I think there's definitely that sort of the local players that we're looking at. You've got modern days. Uh, four-star cornerback, Sabian Brown. He's going to be in on June 2nd. Uh, you have Dakota Fields, who USC is working with, but you know Oregon's kind of out there in front. And then Marcellus Williams, the six foot, 170-pound defensive back from St. John Bosco, is one that you know just recently got a crystal ball from Greg Biggins, national recruiting analyst for 247.com. And for us, you know, we've talked about Marcellus Williams, and I think with Greg and even Blair. They both felt pretty good about USC's chances. You and I both felt like, ah, you know, there could be another school in there for him. He's always been, I don't want to say pessimistic, but he's he's had criticisms of USC. His brother's obviously there, developing within the system. And I think he's just been real and been very candid. 
And would it, and wouldn't and wouldn't he be? Because he's has he has more knowledge of USC than any other player on the board in terms Correct. of the inside insight that he gets about the coaches and the program and the defense and all that. He he knows more about USC than any recruit on the twenty twenty four board. Yeah, and, and and that's an important point because sometimes you hear these recruits regurgitate things and you go, okay, that's probably coming from another college coach. Right. That's some negative recruiting. But, you know, with Marcellus, he's just speaking from what he's seen and what he's heard within the walls, probably, of the program. And I think that's always kind of given us a little pause. You know, I'm not totally against this idea of predicting that he ends up at USC. Uh, I certainly am not, you know, going to fight on that hill. I think it's definitely plausible. It's just, I think if there's another option there and and those schools are really recruiting him hard, I think he's going to give them a long, serious look. And so a lot of people were kind of relieved, and I say a lot of people, a.k.a. Trojan fans, that Ohio State wasn't one of his options because Ohio State has obviously been very successful recruiting St. John Bosco. And so they were very relieved that uh, Ohio State was not there. But you have Oklahoma um, I believe Oregon is in there, too. I can't remember off the top of my head exactly what his visit uh, schedule looks like. But you do kind of wonder, OK, who's recruiting him the hardest and how much is that going to impact uh, his 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 decision as well? And so right now, I mean, we know with USC, I think I've said it before, you got to get one of those three local players and then you're probably going to get two other guys and it's going to be a nickel sort of boundary corner. And then it's going to be more of a pure corner that you need. Who are those other guys going to be? Are they both going to be national guys? Are you going to have to go out there and try to get a guy like Selman Bridges, uh, who's a four-star out of Texas, and a- another big, lanky, sort of Texas's version of Dakota Fields to some extent, another kind of 6'2", 6'3", lanky corner, uh, which USC absolutely, when you look at the target list and you see the defensive back position, they are going for guys with height. I mean, they're absolutely going for guys that have a lot of reach and a lot of length. And Marcellus is actually not quite that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, neither is Zabian Brown. Zabian Brown's not small. Marcellus is not small, but they're not those lanky sort of Dakota Fields, Selman Bridges type of guys. So um, that's interesting, too, to just watch, you know, in terms of profile and body type what USC is prioritizing. Uh, But to round out the official visit weekend, USC had Converse Judson, four-star safety, Miles Davis, a guy that we haven't really heard a whole lot about uh, with the recruiting process. And and in general, and this is something we can probably get into maybe a little bit more later, the safety position at USC right now is kind of all over the place in terms of some of the names that are popping up, coming up on official visits. They aren't a lot of guys that were like the guys that they've been recruiting early on that have the big names. It's sort of like circling back on some of these players and some of these players that are now scheduled official visits to USC. You do have guys like Peyton Woodyard, um, the four-star safety out of St. John Bosco, who is going to take that official visit to USC after all, not like uh, we didn't predict that before he even committed to Georgia, but that's one of those guys you go, okay, that's a name we're all familiar with. That's a name that USC has been recruiting for months and months and months. Some of these other guys, it's been a little quicker. It seems like it's more almost a May evaluation sort of thing where it's like boom, boom, boom. And two weeks now the guy's on campus taking an official visit. So Miles Davis, not a guy, again, that you know we heard a lot about like earlier in the spring going through that process, but he got a crystal ball for 
uh, going to USC from Steve Wolfong. And, um, you know, we can talk about this later as well in terms of emotes and what have you. But I think that's a pretty strong looking crystal ball right now for Steve Wolfong. And that's an interesting player. Uh, again, sort of a, a little more of a, a pure safety. Um, and we talked about a little bit his, you know, breakdown watching film uh, last weekend when he was coming in for the visit. Um, I think his film is decent. I think it's good. Um, it's uh, going to be one of those things where USC's probably going to have to battle Texas. Sounds like he wants to give Texas another look before he makes a decision here. So we'll have to see how that goes. Yeah, it's literally um, but, all Texas teams in his among his top warm schools. It's USC, and then it's Texas, Baylor, TCU, and Texas A&M. So they have to battle the entire state of Texas for Miles Davis. Yeah, and I think right now, though, it's the Longhorns and it's the Trojans. Mm-hmm, and so sure. it it's one of those things where it could kind of be like Braylon Shelby, where USC was able to, to win that one even though Texas had the last visit. And it just seemed like USC – Got that early momentum. He had a really good relationship with Roy Manning. And here he's got a really good relationship with the coaching staff. And he came away kind of blown away just by everything USC had to offer. It was just sort of the all-around uh, package, you know, on and off the field for USC. So uh, this is a guy that, again, you know, it, it's happened kind of quickly where all of a sudden USC has gone from just being like a school that offered him, which is true of, you know, 20, 30 other schools. It seems like for every four-star player to, man, he's going to get a visit. Okay, well, we don't not really know a lot about him. And then, boom, uh, next thing you know, it's he might be a guy that's uh, committing in the near future. And then the final person to talk about about this weekend is the one who didn't actually make it out to USC, and that's three-star Phoenix, Arizona running back Christian Clark, who was slated to come in. You know, a little local flavor among a lot of Texas guys coming in and, and Georgia and Andrew Houston, uh, kind of a West Coast guy in Phoenix, Arizona. But Christian Clark canceled his official visit and did not, in fact, make it out. Now, we've always felt like maybe or not maybe, but that Taylor Tatum also out of Texas was sort of the number one guy on the board for Coach Kyle McDonald. And to go with Brian Jackson, they have already have committed. They want another Texas tandem for this class and Christian Clark was obviously a target for them but it seems like they're moving towards going all in on Taylor Tatum and you know when you ne- when you don't make it out for the official visit it kind of you know sets the table for well it seems like we're kind of parting ways moving forward now obviously not making it out it could have been something else but maybe he'll reschedule it but it just seems like USC is going all in on Taylor Tatum for that second running back spot. Well, I was a bit surprised that they were bringing in Christian Clark that early. Not that I thought he might commit on the spot, but if you got the vibe, he really liked USC, then you're kind of put in the position to say, okay, but we kind of want to see where things go with Taylor Tatum. Uh, We want to see maybe where they go with Jason Brown. Uh, There's a couple guys that are there at that spot that USC's recruiting the running back board. Um, and again, we talked about this a little last week with Nate Palmer, uh, potentially Derek McFall is another guy that they could offer a scholarship to who really likes USC and has been kind of looking for a USC scholarship offer. So there are some other players there that, you know, I just thought Christian Clark, if he, you know, when he was going to officially visit or he was talking about taking that visit, I thought he was more of a June 23rd guy where you kind of go through your board a little bit and get a feel for where you sit with some of these other players. Now, with Tatum, I know that Michigan is a big player for him. 
Um, there's definitely some other options that he has that, you know, it's not like USC is the, the clear leader uh, for him at all. Um, he is certainly, I mean, exactly the kind of profile running back that uh, Kyle McDonald has been recruiting, you know, kind of that uh, on the bigger side, uh, but not necessarily like the, the true power runner that Brian Jackson is. So there's still a little bit of a compliment at, uh, you know, 5'10", 5'11", 205 pounds. Um, but certainly, you know, just gives you that vibe of a guy that's got a little power behind him, uh, as well as being, you know, a very good running back in terms of vision, being able to break tackles, balance. Um, does it, you know, do anything spectacular? He's not like necessarily a big time burner. And I think when you see Brian Jackson, the immediate thought is, okay, what's the counter to him? And it's got to be a guy that's more like Malik Brown. And you get to that kind of thunder. Uh, lightning sort of, um, you know, comparisons that we're all familiar with, with Reggie Bush and Lendell White. And I don't know that that's necessarily what USC feels like they need in the running back room. Um, I think Derek McFall out of Tyler, Texas is one of those guys. It's a little more like that. Nick Palmer, to some extent, none of these guys have blistering 100 meter times though. So when you start talking about lightning to me and I've been around and I've seen enough of these guys that are true lightning type backs, you know, I'm looking for something like a 10, five uh, at the very least. Are you saying meters. thunder and lightning is thrown out too too willy nilly yes. these days? Yes. Okay. Well, listen, I mean, you know, we kind of joke Gavin got on Instagram and was talking about Quentin Joyner and Amirian Peterson being thunder and lightning. And I'm going, that's just thunder and like more thunder. That's not thunder and lightning. Those are two big guys. I know that, uh, Quentin Joyner is a little smaller, a little more diminutive, but he's a guy that can definitely run you over. I mean, he he's, like I've always said, built like a pineapple grenade. He is a guy that's got some power to him as well. And so I think, you know, those extremes, I, I don't necessarily know if that's uh, what Kyle McDonald is looking for. He didn't really have a lot of those extremes at Utah. You know, you just kind of had a bunch of guys and they all tended to be on the bigger side, you know, they all were in that 210, 215. Uh, some were a little bigger than that, guys like Zach Moss. But there were certainly guys that were all capable of breaking a tackle at the line of scrimmage. And I think vision, catching the ball out of the backfield, and being able to break a tackle at the line of scrimmage are some of the key factors that he's looking for. I think a lot of these guys also have really good lateral feet at the line of scrimmage. So when they hit the hole and maybe the hole is not there, they can sidestep and maneuver to the outside. And it's not, you know, turn your shoulders and get to the outside. It's more keep your shoulders square with the line of scrimmage and be able to just sidestep and move enough to get to another gap and then sort of push off. And then, you know, you might have to break a tackle or what have you, but you're getting positive yards on that play as opposed to just kind of running straight forward and not getting anywhere because you just don't have that ability to move sideways with your, with your, with your shoulder square. So I think um, a lot of these running backs kind of have that uh, in common. And certainly when you look at Taylor Tatum, I mean, you see he's the guy at the top of the board just because he does uh, echo a lot of those attributes. Yeah. So do you think we'll see Christian Clark again with USC and this recruitment? Or do you think it's, uh, you know, it's it's done for done for for the cycle? As of now, he has said that there's no there's no specific date or plan to visit USC. Um, so it's kind of up in the air. Uh, it, he, he didn't say he was eliminating USC. Uh, but we haven't gotten like a full explanation on what's going on or what's happened. If there was, you know, some 
type of family type of thing that came up, you know, that a conflict of sorts. It, it could have been that. It, that's not been said explicitly, though. So we are kind of left to speculate at this point. Um, and certainly, you know, I, I'm going off of kind of the things that I heard going into the weekend before he was scheduled to officially visit. It was a little bit of a surprise. I thought that they, you know, maybe would go with uh, Tatum being first just to figure out like where they sat. Get the feel. Get the feel. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, because, you know, Tatum has been on campus twice already. He's taken Mm -hmm. two official visits to USC. And so the visit for him in June 2nd is, is close time. Like this is time that we, we know where you're going, what you're doing. And of course, if he's still unsure about USC, he's going to say, you know, coach, I really like you guys, but I need to take my official visit to this school, this school, and this school. And I don't have his profile up in front of me, so I can't remember what his dates are for what schools he's going to specifically. I got you. Um, I got you. But I know Ohio State and Michigan, there was there was a few schools that were there uh, that he had sort of narrowed things down to. Yeah, it looks like he will be going to, obviously, USC on June 2nd. He will follow that up with an official visit to the Oklahoma Sooners on the 16th, and then he will close out with Michigan on the 23rd. And as a reminder, Michigan does have the single uh, crystal ball projection for him as well. So, yeah, a a tough battle there. I I do think that USC definitely has a shot at him. I Mm -hmm. I don't think that – if there's a margin there between USC and Michigan, it's a margin that USC can't uh, make up. But, you know, again, speculation, you know, we, we, we don't know uh, if with Christian Clark coming in early, that was a little bit of USC feeling like they were slipping with Taylor Tatum to some extent. And they liked Clark and it said, hey, you know, let's just bring him in because he would compliment um, Brian Jackson, six, four, uh, six foot, 240 pounds. Well, you know, Christian Clark sort of does a lot of things. Well, doesn't do anything great in my opinion, um, but would be a guy that, you know, certainly you could see uh, fitting in with what USC does um, as a, as a running back core, you know, what they like uh, all of these players. Uh, like I said, you know, there's similar similarities to some of them. And then you have like the group that is a little more of the old purpose type of back group, which I feel like, has kind of been plan B for them a little bit. You know, when you start to bring up guys like Nate Palmer and Derek McFall, you don't get the sense like, okay, that's, you know, number one for us. Now, at the same time, I know with McFall, he's also been talked to by many schools as a slot receiver, almost as much as he has been a running back. So it's very much the Relique Brown sort of position. Now, is that a different position in the eyes of USC at this point, looking forward, you know, that sort of slot type receiver that can play running back, you know, it's, it's hard to know until we get like a few cycles behind us and we figure out like how they're actually going to use some of these players because really Brown played running back last year. Now he's played mostly slot receiver, even though I don't think he had a whole lot of run during the spring at slot receiver, actually practicing. Um, we kind of have to see if they want to use those type of compliment backs or they just like having a you know two three guys that are kind of the same build and they kind of give you the same thing and they just run those guys at you all game long you know the guys that are really good receivers they're good pass blockers i mean that's certainly the thing we saw last year with Austin Jones and certainly um Travis Dye who was a, a spectacular pass blocker um those guys you know catch the ball in the backfield good vision 
And they were power running backs, even though they weren't necessarily big guys. And they certainly had patience. Um, neither of them were really home run type hitters. And of course, you really want that. You know, if you're a running back coach, it makes things easier if you've got that guy that uh, can 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 just take a seam and completely open up. Uh, you know, the, the 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 play for 80 yards as opposed to 40 yards. You know, you you go for 80, it's a touchdown. Your offense is off the field. You're done. Cool. Let's go get some Gatorade. But when you go for 40 yards and you get tackled at the 23, it's like, okay, red zone offense. And you may not be able to get anything but a field goal from that point. So there is those guys out there that, of course, you want, um, but they're few and far between, you know. And I think uh, with Kyle McDonald, and I think with the offense, there's one thing that you get the sense is that there's a lot of patience in the offense uh, being able to go. 20 to 20, right? Being able to go 80 yards, being able to go 100 yards. I, I don't think that there's that sort of angst of, you know, when we get that big play, hey, we got to hit it because we don't want to have to get down in the red zone. Uh, our offense isn't going to be able to be able to punch it in. I think they run the ball well enough that they're not real anxious and nervous about getting into the red zone. And they feel like, you know, we'll, we'll get there, you know, we'll, we'll get those plays and we'll be able to do it. So, you know, at the running back position, I don't know if that's uh, kind of going back to like the Pete Carroll era where it was all about trying to find Reggie Bush. Right. And, and I don't know, maybe that's just the thing of where when you get a Reggie Bush, then you realize how big he can be for your offense, like how many bad situations he can get you out of, how he can change a game. And then it's like, I, we just need that. Like, we just always have to get that guy. And USC thought, you know, CJ Spiller was that guy. USC thought that Michael Goodson was that guy, that Percy Harvin could sort of be that guy. Obviously, he was a little more of a receiver, but they looked at him as potentially running the ball as well. And so they were always, always chasing that Reggie Bush uh, rather than, you know, the the Chauncey Washington or the Lendell White or any of those other guys that they had that were successful running backs. Uh, they were they were constantly trying to find that guy that would be the game breaker. But it's hard. I mean, you saw all those years after Reggie Bush, how many running backs they had. And none of those guys were really that guy. And the final visitor that we're going to talk about, we talked about four official visitors. We talked about one who did not make it out for his official visit. And then there was one who took an unofficial visit, and that's Upper Marlboro, Maryland three-star edge rusher Obina Onwuka. And he was supposed to, as we mentioned before, he was supposed to take his first unofficial visit to USC back in April for the Baller Bash. Wasn't able to make it out. Didn't really know what was going on with his recruitment. Was he in limbo in terms of where he stands where USC? But rescheduled it, reconnected with Roy Manning, who during the uh, spring evaluation as they went out, you know, the Roy Manning went out uh, twice to see him in Maryland as well as other prospects, but got him on campus this past weekend. A little bit of a, is he going to actually make it out? But he did make it out. He had a really good visit. His parents really enjoyed the visit. Now this was the traction visit with him. He does have a good relationship with Roy Manning, but it does not matter if you don't have a good visit, get him on campus, obviously coming all the way out from the DMV, you know, we've said it before on the show, DMV kids really seem to like Southern California, Los Angeles. They like that vibe. And he also liked that vibe. He said he could see himself living here. Now, obviously, the next step, he kind of talked about this is, OK, I have this visit in the books. Will that set me up for a June official visit? He does have two open weekends for June. He's taking an official visit to Boston College and uh, Virginia Tech. 
but has not committed to taking an official visit. He's more like, you know, we have to wait and see what happens. So a little bit of an unknown with Abina. But from what I can tell, I talked to him last night. He did like the visit. I did put a story up. But it seems like we're back to being like, okay, what's what's going to happen now between USC and Obina and Wuka? They do seem to like each other, but I don't know if it's going to – I don't know really right now if they're going to get that unofficial visit next month. He seems to be playing a little bit coy. I, I would have assumed after this visit he would have been like, yep, official visit coming in June 2nd or June 16th, whatever. So we'll have to wait and see with uh, this DMV prospect. Yeah, we can kind of look at the board as we look at the official visit dates and who has their official visits already locked in. And that kind of tells you something. You know, it tells you who the staff, A, has a good connection with because they're able to lock in these dates and feel confident with these kids um, being able to come in on specific dates. And it's not to say that you might have some of these dates change. You might have some of these kids cancel. I mean, look at Christian Clark. There's a good example, literally like 24 hours before he was supposed to be on campus, cancels the official visit. So that can't happen. But, I mean, Caleb Reed uh, out of St. Louis, Missouri, edge rusher, 6'4", 215, is scheduled to come in on that first uh, week of June. Um, we also have uh, Cameron Fountain, who's a name that, you know, not a real familiar name that hasn't talked a whole about a whole lot about USC in the past. Uh, he's a four-star out of Atlanta, Georgia, edge rusher, 6'6", 240 pounds. So another big kid. And so you've got a couple of those guys, sort of outlier um, types that, you know, I don't think either of those players have been on campus uh, at USC unofficially yet. So, you know, are those actual traction visits? Are those visits that uh, you feel like, you know, USC can kind of hit it out of the ballpark immediately and grab those kids? It's kind of a uh, wait and see. You know, Jalen Harvey, uh, the 6'2", 235-pound uh, defensive end from uh, Maryland is a, another uh, Gaithersburg, Maryland DMV type recruit who we've seen in person. And they actually play he, in the same league, go up against each other, Quincy uh, Quincy. Uh, Orchard. Quincy Orchard and uh, uh, Herbert Flowers, they're the big rivals within their two. They're the two best. They actually lost to each other in the state championship. So Jalen Harvey and uh, Abino Wuka will uh, go see each other this season is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, so um, that's that's another name. that Now, that's been a name that USC has been chasing for a while, and uh, USC was one of the first schools to really uh, make a push. Uh, for Jalen Harvey. And it was one of those things where, you know, we didn't really get to see a whole lot of him until he came out here uh, for California power. And he played in the pylon five on five tournament. And we were pretty impressed just with what he looked like physically. And so, you know, uh, maybe more of a rush end than a defensive end. Uh, You know, you've kind of got that five technique and then you've got that seven technique. And those players are sometimes a bit different. With the five technique, you're looking at somebody who's going to be at least six, four, six, five, probably have the ability, if not already, the weight to be 240, 250 pounds. So, you know, Jalen Harvey is a, a, a little bit more of a linebacker type of build. He's got a decent height on him, but um, certainly not like the 6'5", you know, 220-pound Marquise Lightfoot out of Chicago, who's also got a official visit scheduled USC for June 16th. And so there's another edge rusher that USC is looking at. So, I mean, you do kind of keep that in the back of your head, the guys that they're working on official visits with, 
and those who have already got them scheduled. So, you know, it's a little more like, okay, are you ready to pull the trigger on somebody that has been here already unofficially or some of these guys that haven't been here unofficially? It's more of an attraction visit. It's a little easier to schedule those visits because you know you have some work to do to be able to get into that top list of schools. Whereas maybe a guy like Jalen Harvey, who earlier in the spring, we were kind of given a heads up that, hey, you know, USC is a big time player for him. Like USC might be his leader at this point. Now, I think that he's visited some other schools subsequently, probably not quite as high on USC specifically, but still a guy that potentially USC will have the ability to lock down uh, by the end of the summer. And and again, I think those guys that are here for their second, maybe even third visit, that's more of the expectation. It's like, you know, how many visits do you need to know, you know, what, what the program offers, what Los Angeles offers, your relationship with the coaching staff. And certainly that was going back to Dylan Riola. The thing that always kind of made me a bit hesitant about him is, you know, when you decommit from Ohio State, okay, you've seen everything USC has to offer. You watched them last season. If you were hesitant about them last season, it was because, okay, is Lincoln Riley going to be able to turn this thing around quickly? Are they going to be a good football program out of the gates? Or is this like a three-year rebuilding project? And I'm going to have to wait before I know what this is going to look like. You didn't have to wait. You saw what it was going to look like. I mean, offensively, they were a juggernaut and they got Caleb Williams a Heisman Trophy, another Heisman Trophy for Lincoln Riley. So at that point in time, it's like how many how many more visits to campus do you really need to know what USC offers and what uh, the coaching staff has to offer? I remember Dylan Riola saying, you know, the more times I go to USC, the more I like it. And it was just kind of like an eye roll a little bit of like, okay, but why do you need to continue to take more and more visits at this point in time when you know everything that USC can do? And so with some of these guys, yeah, if they've been there unofficially uh, already, uh, then you kind of have the expectation of if you're making a decision here before your senior season, this, this is it. You know, this is where USC has to close. The interesting thing is going to be how aggressive are they going to be in getting these guys to just shut it down right then and there? Because a lot of these kids are saying, okay, I want to visit in July, or excuse me, I want to commit in July. I want to take my visits in June. I want to commit in July or maybe August. And if you're going to commit in July and you're already kind of, you know, all right, you know, this is this is when I want to do it. I know I want to do it before the season. And you visited USC and you just feel like, okay, I've been to USC already. I loved it. Took the official visit, checked off all the boxes make that commitment right then and there, or at least say, you know, I'm done with other official visits. You know, how many of those kids say, ah, oh, I still want to visit Oregon. Oh, I'm still going to go to Ohio state next week. That from USC side, from a read standpoint, makes you a little nervous. And with that, that kind of wraps up the cold open in terms of talking about these official visitors, visitors in general from May 19th. But that also plays into the next topic, which is new visits that have been scheduled moving forward as we move into June. So Gerard, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to run through sort of these names that have popped up. Some of these have been previously reported, but we're just kind of bringing them all together for this podcast segment. So Royceford, Pennsylvania, four-star offensive lineman, Kevin Haywood, he was offered as a USC scholarship back in April. He is slated for June 23rd. That is the only new addition for that end weekend of June. Right in the middle, the big one, the uh, the golden hour, quote-unquote, part two. We have Cleveland, Ohio, four-star cornerback Bryce West. 
He's slated for that June 16th weekend. I think one that just came in, Arlington, Texas, three-star interior offensive lineman, Makai Sena. I believe he took an unofficial visit for the spring game in this past April. So he's already had sort of his traction visit. He's coming in for that June 16th through 18th weekend. Chicago, Illinois, four-star defensive end Marquise Lightfoot, who you just mentioned. He will be here in town for the 16th as well. And then only good counsel, three-star defensive end Darian Mayo, who is just a massive human being at six foot eight, 250 pounds. USC offered him, I believe he was a unranked prospect. Now he has blown up and everyone wants a little mayo for their team. Again, that's six foot eight, 250 pounds. He is coming in for June 16th. He has taken a traction visit as well. So this is another key visit for him. Uh, June 9th, St. John Bosco, Peyton Woodyard, and Kingston Biliama Asa. As you mentioned at the top of the show, Peyton Woodyard is going to take that official visit and he's taking it with his teammate in Kingston. Both of those guys will be there on June 9th. And then June 2nd, we have Clearwater, Florida, four-star safety Jarvis Boatwright. He will be coming in early in June. And then Englewood, Colorado, three-star offensive tackle Hayden Treater, who Blair Angulo dropped a Blair flare earlier, which was noting that he would be taking an official visit to USC for that June 2nd weekend. I believe they also have uh, four-star Utah offensive tackle Isaiah Garcia that weekend as well. So some big boys will be on on campus for Josh Henson early in June. Yeah, and, you know, interesting to see the month populated by official visits because last year there was really only two official visit weekends. There was the Golden Hour weekend, which was the June 16th weekend, and then there was the first weekend of June where they brought in four prospects and that was the Tackett Curtis weekend and actually got all of those players committed. It was Tackett the Curtis. legendary Tackett Curtis weekend. Yes. Yeah. That was Grant Bucky. Um, I believe Tobias Raymond was on that official visit weekend. And there was one more recruit that committed on that weekend that I forget who it was, but did they stay in the class? Do you know that much? Yes, I believe so. Because Bucky, I think, was the only one that didn't actually make it in the class. You can. I'm gonna, just try, to, I'm gonna try to figure. It look out at right the now. weekend, but I don't remember off the top of my head. But that, but that was a very successful weekend for USC. Um, so they're hoping to have some of that success this year in that first weekend. But you've got quite a few more players that are going to be on that official visit weekend. So the month in terms of the visit spread out at this point in time. Uh, it's much more populated than it was last year. I mean, adding to the June 23rd weekend where you've got Elijah Brown, the modern day four-star quarterback, who's still scheduled to come in on that weekend. You're also got Kevin Haywood um, who, again, one of those players that through the May evaluation process gets a scholarship offer and is now scheduled to visit USC. So not a name that's been on the board for months and months and months, uh, but kind of a new name to the board that USC really likes. And, you know, he's decided he's going to come check out USC. Uh, the June 16th weekend, Bryce West, who was a cornerback uh, out of uh, Glenville, who, you know, you go back with the recruit Knicks in the Pete Carroll era. You all know Teddy Ginn Jr. and all those kids at USC recruited out of Glenville. I think there were over five, I think, over the over the course of, uh, you know, probably three cycles. Um, but uh, Bryce West, uh, another uh, cornerback out of that neck of the woods, who was actually what we were told originally coming for the baller bash and did not make it. 
uh, but he is going to officially visit USC. Ohio State is the team to beat for him, uh, certainly. And, uh, you know, that that will be a tough pull for USC. But he has been on campus uh, previously, so he has taken an unofficial visit to USC and, and really liked it. Um, as you said, Makai, and, and I don't know if it's Saina or Saina, uh, he is a guy that we've reached out to, really liked his unofficial visit to USC. Uh, he came over spring. And, um, you know, another guy where you kind of look and say, okay, where is he on the board for USC? You know, is he a guy that's kind of uh, crept up on the board a little bit um, over time? Because, you know, you have to look at, uh, you know, what they're doing locally. And, and you know, I, I think with Brandon Baker, the five-star offensive lineman uh, out of modern day, different position, but I think they've slipped with him uh, over the past couple months. And so, you know, you really have DeAndre Carter and he's, in my eyes, he's going to be an interior offensive lineman. That's where we have him rated at 24 seven sports. He does play left tackle for modern day. A lot of people assume that Brandon Baker is actually the left tackle at modern day. Brandon Baker plays right tackle at modern day, which is curious, you know, seeing his ranking to me, that's a little bit of a red flag. I, I don't think you can rank the if you have the number one offensive, offensive tackle, tackle, he needs to be a left tackle. Or he needs to be a left with. tackle at the high school level. Yeah, I, I, I and, and it's one of those things where I was told that they were just very comfortable at those positions. They had kind of grown into those positions. And DeAndre just liked the left side and Brandon was comfortable on the right side. But I do think that that's kind of interesting. I mean, I don't know how many times the number one left or the number one offensive tackle ratings wise has actually played right tackle in high school as opposed to left tackle. So DeAndre Carter is actually the guy that plays left tackle, but is projected to play inside for USC. Um, and, and you talked about Lightfoot, you know, a name not talked about very much at USC. Mayo is a kid that has been on the board early on for USC. USC uh, had him on an unofficial visit. He really loved USC and he's gotten bigger. You know, he's, he's grown a little bit. He was a guy that was, I mean, I think he was like originally listed at like six, seven, 230 pounds or something. And we didn't really know if he was going to be a defensive lineman or he's more of a defensive end type. And now he's, you know, up to 250 plus pounds, six, eight, uh, you kind of understand that he's going to be a defensive lineman. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, again, on the board, you know, the emphasis of, of some of these players uh, and and how hard USC goes after some uh, than others, because there's not a lot of local linemen on this list, uh, as you'll see so far. And so we're still waiting to see if that's something that's going to, you know, still happen. Um, you know, DeAndre Carter has not talked about an official visit date with USC yet. Uh, the assumption that he would come in maybe June 2nd, or maybe he would, you know, push it back to June 23rd. We're still waiting to see if, uh, you know, he's locked in a specific date for USC and, um, you know, some of the other local players. I mean, I think um, uh, one of uh, the the West Coast players, um, I wouldn't necessarily call him local, but Devin Brooks from Clackamas, Oregon, uh, a guy that visited USC and, and loved the visit to USC, very high on USC, uh, has his uh, official visit scheduled for June 16th. So um, there are a couple West Coast guys in there, um, but um, not quite as many as, uh, you know, we thought would already, you know, have those visits already scheduled. You would kind of think that um, the, the local schools would kind of get locked in for visits uh, first, and then maybe, you know, some of uh, the other out-of-state schools would be those 
that would get locked in afterwards. But it seems like with so many of these kids, especially California kids, they go on these unofficial visits and they take these tours. And, you know, the priority is like, oh, you know, I want to get back here. And so I need to schedule that visit and I'll I'll figure out where USC sits kind of later because it's local and it's close. Ho-hum. You know, USC's got to get back to the days where, okay, let me, USC's last. Like, that's going to be my last visit. I've locked that in and uh, I'll figure out where everybody goes out ahead of time uh, for uh, their visits out of state. And I wanted to bring it back to the legendary attack at Curtis weekend. I think I've identified the player. I'm just going to say it and you tell me if it's right or wrong. Well, there's only one other guy. It, it was Bucky. It was Tacky Curtis. It was Tobias Freeman. And there was one other. Was it Kate Eldridge? Yes. Kate Eldridge. Yes. Yes. There we go. Slipped there we mind. go. I saw it and I was like, it feels like Kate Eldridge. And so it is Kate Eldridge. We do fall that into another update from a Maryland prospect. You talked about Abina Onwuka. We talked about Jalen Harvey. We talked about Darian Mayo. We have another one to talk about from my hometown, Laurel, Maryland, four-star linebacker, Gabriel Williams. He does have some visit plans set with Pittsburgh, Virginia Tech, and Duke getting official visits, but USC is also in consideration to get an official visit as well. He's a guy who came out for an unofficial visit and seems to really have an interest in USC. Obviously, those schools out there tied to the East Coast, but it seems like USC is obviously kicking it around. He is a six foot four linebacker. Obviously, we have some uh, Eric Gentry comparisons with that size at you know six foot six, six foot four. So USC does have a blueprint, blue excuse me, blueprint they can show him and put on some tape of the uh, the unicorn to show him, hey, this is how we can use you moving forward in his recruitment. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, this is a name that, again, some of these guys have sort of popped up a little later from the May evaluation process where USC is going out there and they're looking at these kids in person and they like what they see and then they're following up and it becomes sort of this thing that's happened within the last month or so. But Gabriel Williams has actually been a name out there for USC for, I mean, better part of a year. Yeah. Did he officially, or excuse me, did he unofficially visit this past spring or was it the year before that he unofficially visited USC? I feel like I he was here. it was this, this, this recent spring? spring. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I was early. Some reason I was thinking he actually came in the spring before, but he's been on the board for a long time. It's been hard to figure out, like, again, where is he on the board? Like, he's been on the board. They've been recruiting him. They've been talking to him for a long time. But when you get some of these players that are from the East Coast, and, of course, you know, Trojan fans are looking at the offer list and they're looking at the visit list and going Pittsburgh, Virginia Tech, Duke. They want to see Alabama, Georgia, Florida. You know, they want to see USC going after these players that have all these high echelon offers. Uh, but we always say on the podcast, don't look at the offers. The offers are uh, – they're just goodwill gestures at this point. You know, it's not a lot to be said about uh, how serious scholarship offers are. Alabama gives off 200-plus scholarship offers every year. Uh, they offer a lot of players that they really don't recruit. And it's just a matter of, hey, you know, let's get our foot in the door and maybe down the line somewhere, you know, we like this kid. We go see him. We see some more film of him, whatever. Uh, maybe, you know, there's there has to be a, a, a plan C implemented somewhere along the lines. So that's really not a big deal. You know, when you start to see Alabama's and what have you on those offer lists, 
Um, but nevertheless, I think with uh, Gabriel Williams, it's it's interesting. USC is involved with some low-rated guys, and, and Gabriel Williams is actually, you know, a, a, I think a top two, four, seven guy, so he's not that low-rated. But there are some yeah. other guys. There's been some chatter uh, of of USC being involved, maybe setting official visits up, and they're, they're smaller linebackers. You know, I think, you know, Ty Anthony Smith out of Jasper, Texas, the four-star linebacker who's, I think, listed at like 6'2", 205. There's a few guys on the board for USC at linebacker that are, are that are like that. And they are, you know, 200 poundish linebackers. And I think, you know, with USC over the years, we're used to them going after the ready-made 230 pound linebackers. So this is a little bit of a change and you do kind of wonder, okay, is this them trying to find the next Eric Gentry and, and whether they actually have the six, six height or not, it's just going after somebody who can play, in that sort of nickel outside linebacker that that sort of no man's land where the hashes are and make plays in the RPO game. And certainly, you know, with Eric Gentry, he played Mike linebacker last year, but I don't think that was the ultimate plan. I don't think that's what he was he really wanted to do. I think they were hoping that Shane Lee would be that guy. And Shane Lee just I don't think is not a three down linebacker. You know, he's a he's a two down linebacker. He's a uh, short distance linebacker where it's a third and two or fourth and one. Uh, but he's not necessarily the guy that you want out there on third and 13. And that's where Eric Gentry came in. And Eric Gentry actually came in even on the short downs, you know, and once, um, you know, I think they started to see how much of an impact he made on the field in general, but six foot, 210 pounds soaking wet is, is certainly tough to, to, to put in the middle of, the defense against or against a running team certainly that's going to run right at you and last year teams yeah, that was their first time really seeing Eric Gentry there at Mike linebacker and it was probably for some their first time really uh, having to get a game plan together you know during that week of install when they saw him out there number 18 this year they're all going to know where 18 is. They're all going to plan for 18 to be at Mike linebacker, and they're going to attack 18 at Mike linebacker. And so uh, we are going to see what happens with that. We're going to see if there's going to be some evolution to his game. Are they just going to put him back at Mike linebacker? Are they going to put him at more of a Sam, uh, a nickel type of linebacker? Is he going to be Will? You know, how's that going to change with what they do with Mason Cobb? Um, you know, is Taka Curtis going to be able to develop enough where they feel like the confidence to have him on the field for three downs uh, as a true freshman? It's all sort of got to happen here. It's not even going to be completely known in fall camp. We're going to have to get into the season before we really get to see, you know, what the comfort level is with Alex Grinch and the linebacker position. But on the recruiting trail, everybody's looking for that unicorn. But it's a unicorn for a reason, you know, Eric Gentry, you're not going to find that guy. You know, we talked about Reggie Bush and trying to find that guy at running back. Uh, finding that guy at running back might be a little more consistent uh, from year to year, every couple years um, than finding a guy like Eric Gentry. I mean, quite frankly, there just haven't been a whole lot of 6'6", 210 pound linebackers that are both that agile, uh, that physical, that instinctive in space. Most of those tall guys just can't play in space the way he does. And, and they're certainly not as physical and as tough as he is. I mean, he's a tough football player. He's a, he's got like some Max Williams to him. He, he's got the athleticism of, of some guys like maybe like a Javon curse who, you know, originally out of high school in Florida was, a, a I think at Fort Myers, he was playing safety. 
And so he just kind of put on weight, put on my weight. And they're like, hey, man, we've got this super athletic guy that can move in space. And he's big enough now that we can put him on the outside as a defensive end. And so, you know, Eric Gentry is one of those guys that certainly got a, a bunch of different things from different players. Um, but physically, he doesn't look like any of them. You know, and that's that's the thing about him. So I don't know that you're necessarily going to be able to reproduce that uh, every cycle or even every couple cycles. You know, he may be a sort of generational talent uh, just in terms of his makeup uh, and, and physical build. You know, in this podcast, we do tend to talk a lot about recruiting, Gerard. So I'm not done yet because we do have a vital position to talk about. And we're going to talk about two specific players, and that is some defensive tackles, two five star defensive tackles. Defensive tackle is a position where USC fans are like, just please love us. Just somebody love us. Just somebody want to be with us. Obviously, they just got Barry Alexander. That, you know, heals a lot of the pain for USC fans out of the transfer portal. But they still would love some of those high school, high-end, premium defensive tackles, defensive linemen. We're going to talk about two. The first one, you know, let's get to that. The really bad news, and that's five-star Chicago defensive tackle Justin Scott eliminated USC from his top schools list. They did not make his top five. You know, USC did get a big traction visit when they played Notre Dame and they beat Notre Dame in front of him, you know, an Illinois native. And, you know, it seemed to to set a really good bar for USC. But, you know, obviously some schools ahead of them were were just that. They were ahead of them and they they really couldn't break in Further than, you know, obviously they made the top schools, which is a nice improvement, but did not make that that final cut for Justin Scott and those official visits he's going to be taking. And the other one is modern day five star defensive tackle Aiden Breland, who I would say the P is maybe obsessed with Aiden Breland because that seemed they they seem to ask about him a lot. Like what's going on with Aiden Breland? Why isn't he on campus? What is he doing? Does he like football? Does he love us? Why won't he love us? But Aiden Breland has had a meteoric rise into five-star status he is now the number six yes not 66 overall player the number two defensive lineman in the 24 7 sports rankings the updated rankings that we had this week the number one number one prospect in california it's not brandon baker it's not elijah brown it's not julian saying it's aiden breland six foot five 290 pound defensive lineman out of modern day catholic and he has not, you know, he has USC in his top 10 of some some heavy hitters of Georgia, LSU, Miami, Nebraska, Michigan, Ohio State, Oregon, Tennessee, Texas A&M. He's got a couple of official visits that he set this week. He really recently just added Texas A&M, but USC has not been locked in for an official visit. Will USC get a summer visit? What's going to happen with Aiden Breland? This is becoming a guy like, hey, you can't let him get away. This is someone, you know, this is what uh, T.A. Cunningham was supposed to be. This was the big five-star caliber, big-bodied guy that you were supposed to keep home, you know, was that when he was at Los Al. Now it looks like uh, Aiden Breland is this guy, and all the big names want him. USC does not have that visit yet. Will they get the visit? Time will tell. But USC fans just really want a piece of Aiden Breland to be a Trojan. It feels like the defensive tackle position, and we're talking about it in a way like we would talk about professional wrestlers, you know, Jericho Johnson, and <laughs> Aiden Breland, 
and who who is going to end up in the last man standing in the Royal Rumble. Um, <laughs> USC goes through all these different names and the fans are hanging on each player and uh, the, the prospects of the class hanging on each defensive lineman uh, that is signed or unsigned, which is interesting because it's different than so many other classes for so many other schools who, you know, everybody's looking at, you know, who are the star quarterback, who's going to be the star wide receiver. And they're focused on the skill players. But for USC fans, it's always about offensive tackles and defensive tackles. And Aiden Breland has a three-year, four-year recruit. You know, he's a guy that had scholarship offers coming out of the eighth grade. He was working out at Winter Winter Circle and got a scholarship offer, I believe, uh, during that COVID shutdown over the summer where Winter Circle had a workout. And we were talking about him, and he was like this kid that was coming up that just, you know, everybody was completely enamored with because he was already so big. You know, in fact, I think he weighed more probably then than he does now. He, he dropped quite a bit of weight. We saw him last season. It looked like he was more like 275, and we were thinking he'd show up more like at 310. So that's been interesting in and of itself is the amount of production he's had at modern day and correlating that with his ranking correlating that with how he's handled the recruiting process to some extent because he often says you know USC is the hometown school I've been there more than any other school and I feel very comfortable there but I think for a player that's been recruited for three years he hasn't been to USC that many times Um, I can't remember talking to him I think I asked him that and that was earlier in the year, and he couldn't remember, but I was like four or five times in three years, maybe. <laughs> like he hasn't been there very much. And that's sort of been the theme a little bit with some of these modern day players. We get good intel about USC gaining momentum with this player and that player after they take an unofficial visit. And there's a lot of optimism there. But then some of these guys go on these national tours. And they have a circle of people that are accompanying them on these tours. And, I mean, this is definitely what happened with Brandon Baker. It was like night and day. You know, it's like, oh, USC's made this big move. Oregon's got a new offensive line coach. He doesn't really vibe that well with the offensive line coach. He liked Adrian Clem a lot. USC's made this big move, and it kind of looks like USC is the favorite. And then, boom. He goes and he visits Oregon and he visits this school and he visits that school. And all of a sudden he comes back and he hasn't been on campus at USC in two or three months. And USC is kind of like an afterthought. And that is sort of kind of happened to some extent with Aiden Breland, uh, where off and on, it's like when he's around USC, he talks up USC. Uh, but then, you know, when he's not around USC, he's not really talking about USC so much. I think the expectation was that USC would get the June 2nd visit. And so the Texas A&M June 2nd visit is kind of surprising. It was really thought to be maybe Ohio State would be uh, that uh, school that would get the official visit that weekend. And so right now the question is, yeah, is USC going to even get a summer visit? I will say this. Does it really matter? Let me answer a question with a question. Okay. Does it really matter? Because at the end of the day, I think if USC goes out, and then they go and win games, and they've shown improvement on defense. These kids have unlimited official visits. And we've spoken about this in the past two podcasts, and I've been asked about it on the Peristyle. You know, how does this change the dynamic of the recruiting process now that kids can go to as many schools as they want to? Now, the schools themselves, 
still have an allotted amount of official visits that they can host. So a school cannot host more than 56 official visits in a recruiting calendar year. And that includes transfers. So that's not just with the high school kids. That is also including transfers. So the schools themselves have to have a little bit of a pecking order. They can't just bring in anybody anytime they want to. They have to know, okay, if we spend this amount of official visits during the summer, we're only going to have this amount for postseason. And then we're only going to have this amount going all the way until April. And I believe it's sometime in April when that calendar actually changes over. So with a guy like in Breland who, yeah, he likes Miami. Yeah, he likes Texas A&M. There's a lot of people in his ears about a lot of these schools. And clearly you kind of see a little bit of an NIL maybe outlined there. You've got three of the five families of NIL on that visit list. I think you do you say to yourself if you're USC and you know he could visit USC at any time. Uh, you know, maybe during the season after the season because this is this is not it. He will make a commitment in August. He wants to make a commitment before the start of his senior season. But I think the feeling is that's not really going to end the process for him, just like it didn't end the process for Peyton Woodyard. And even this summer, I don't know if the process is completely put to bed for Peyton Woodyard. You know, there is the decommitment flip season. And if there's anything that does change about the recruiting process, it's the fact that now these guys have unlimited visits and they can go anywhere on a whim. It wasn't like you had your three official visits during the summer. You've only got two more. You really start to narrow it down to who you have relationships with. It becomes different from the perspective of the recruit and his family. But when you know, I mean, we, we could really take whatever visits, you know, we want to get it done before early signing day, but I mean, we could take these two visits and if that's the schools that we don't really want to go to whatever, but we could still take those official visits and then we can take even more if we need to. I think that changes a little bit of the amount of players that might be taking visits right before early signing day. We're going to have to wait and see. We're going to have to see if it does affect and prolong the recruiting process because these players are going to realize that you cannot fit in uh, 10 official visits <laughs> during the summer and the season, you know, and if you really want to take a, just a bunch of official visits uh, for the sake of, you know, your top 16, then it's going to have to go right into the spring. And, and hopefully that doesn't become a trend because we're going to be following these kids for more than a year. And that has been the case with some of the players. You know, there's been some top players like Josh Connolly and uh, some others that have not committed on the early signing period and they haven't committed on February. It's gone even past that. And so I do think, though, with guys like this locally that are super enamored with all this stuff going out of state, all this talk of NIL, the closer you get to early signing day, if USC has put together a good season, and I know this didn't happen last year, right? Last year, USC, even with the good year they had, didn't really build a whole lot of momentum. We can go back to Justin Scott, you know, eliminating USC. And I got criticism because I wasn't optimistic enough about the big weekend that USC was going to have when they hosted Notre Dame. This was a big mega weekend. Look at all these recruits, GM. Why aren't you more excited? Why aren't you more optimistic about UC's chances with this guy and that guy? That weekend was built more for the 2024 class. There were not a lot of players in the 2023 class that USC was pursuing at that point that were coming in on that weekend. So when you're talking about the next cycle, man, that is way down the line. And what commitments do you actually get from that weekend? 
not a whole lot. So you have to look at the immediate future and understand that, you know, when you get to that point of signing, that's when things become big, right? I mean, they're going to be big weekends this, this summer, and some of these guys are going to be locked in and they won't uh, waiver. And certainly if USC handles their business on the field on both sides of the football, they will not waiver. But there's going to be guys that make decisions and they go to schools. And it, I, I think especially with NIL, it works to USC's advantage because USC at this point in time is not going to play that game of uh, talking about NIL deals and, and what you can get um, before you enroll. It's it's based all on enrollment. And that's why it's easier, I think, for them to recruit the proven commodities that are ready to sign within you know, that, that weekend of visiting uh, USC as a transfer. That's why the transfer portal and recruiting transfers, it all is happening right then and there. But with these high school kids, man, like, you know, last year, Notre Dame weekend, that might have might as well have been five years ago in recruiting time for high school kids. That's just is so long ago for a 2024 recruit. So much can change. And again, a lot can change even with these guys that are committing over the summer. How much do you think Elijah Brown will influence modern day kids? Or does that that should not even matter with NIL in this new age? I don't think a lot. I, I wouldn't necessarily say it doesn't impact those players at all. But I don't think Elijah is that type of recruit that he's going to be in a lot of players' ears. You got to come to USC. He's not going to be the Matt Barkley type. You know, I don't know if he'll even be the Malachi Nelson type. Eliza Brown, from the little I've been around him, because, you know, I'm not like really close with him. Greg Biggins probably has a much better relationship with Eliza Brown than I do. And I don't even know if, if Greg necessarily has that type of relationship with him. But from what I've seen, he is very quiet and he kind of keeps to himself and he's not necessarily that guy that's going to go out of his way to try to pitch, you know, why he committed to USC and why you should go to USC. You know, I think that it's more of, Hey, I'm going to USC. This is, this is, you know, what I liked about it. And, you know, let's keep this thing going. And I'm sure there'll be little comments there and, and things that, you know, certainly like if it was, during the season, and let's say some of these guys have committed elsewhere and Elijah Brown commits to USC, hypothetically, of course, um, you know, I'm sure there's going to be some things like, hey, man, you know, your school, yeah, man, they, they're not looking so good right now, you know, or uh, what happened last week, uh, you know, USC, they're undefeated right now, and, you know, Miami or Oregon or whatever school that maybe had a bad week, you know, I'm sure things are said and what have you, but Again, I think it's more for USC. Things get more serious as you get closer to signing day because that's a little bit more when, um, you know, you don't want to get caught into this bidding war that goes on with these collectives and everything behind the scenes. And that just goes on and on and on until, you know, you get up to signing day. So it's a little bit about, you know, do you want to, you know, start talking about that? Uh, when you still got you know months to go before anybody's actually signing on the dotted line, and also you know countered with the fact that I think uh, USC is just a little more comfortable with the proven commodity of the transfer. And yes, 
there has to be a transition point if USC wants to, I mean, from a cultural standpoint, bringing guys and sort of develop them from the high school ranks and go that route. Uh, but we have yet to see that, you know, I mean, this year was kind of supposed to be that. And the 2023 class was really supposed to be that, right? Everybody was talking about how that could be like this epic generational class for USC. It didn't happen. And so they kind of went into the portal and I think they were very happy to, you know, go after guys like Anthony Lucas and Bear Alexander. Now, ultimately, we have to see the production from those players as well. I think with the first group, which was a must have, the first wave of transfers, you really had to try to rebuild the roster to some extent. But you saw Caleb Williams, you saw uh, Austin Jones, Travis Dye, uh, Mario Williams, Eric Gentry, Makai um, uh, Blackman. It's so many of those guys just hit the ground running. You know, there was such a little transition period for them. There was such a little uh, time of acclimation for some of them. Jordan Addison, I mean, he came basically during the summer. I mean, the first time we saw Jordan Addison in L.A. was this coming weekend, Memorial Day weekend, when we were at the Steve Clarkson camp. And so, I mean, this was like bang, bang, bang. And you thought, wow, are they going to be able to come together as a team in that short amount of time? And they did. And so now, you know, the expectations are sort of raised on that. You want to see that on the defensive side of the ball, which technically in the defensive side of the ball, it should be easier to do that. There's less in terms of timing and chemistry that's needed on the defensive side of the ball as opposed to the offensive side of the ball. So we'll see. But if you continue to have that type of production, from plug and play players out of the transfer portal, man, I, I just think it's very hard for USC to completely turn their back on that and not have almost half the class still come from the transfer portal. It just seems like the money men at USC and women are very comfortable <laughs> with that in terms of that investment, um, as opposed to going after the next best thing coming out of high school. Uh, that's a five star across the board and just doesn't you know, end up playing to that level. You're obviously projecting a lot more with high school kids. Uh, particularly linemen, particularly with linemen. I mean, goodness, we look at the NFL and we look at the offensive tackle position and most of those guys that are first round picks are these 240, 250 pound kids coming out of high school that are multi-sport athletes that are not the 315 pound five-star offensive tackles. So yeah, there's a lot to be said for going after the, the, the commodity that's been proven on the field that's closer to being a finished product um, then, you know, putting a bunch of money in the hands of, you know, the, the, the stepdads and the, the God uncles and, and the trainers and all these other people, there's another aspect of that too, with representation, which I don't think a lot of schools are comfortable with. Some are willing to deal, uh, and, and, and go through those avenues more than others. Uh, but I think across the board, that's something that I've heard several times in terms of, you know, who you deal with and is it, you know, is it somebody's dad that's, you know, talking about NIL uh, as representation or does that player actually have an agent of sorts? Because right now it's a mixed bag. You're dealing with all kinds of different people. And I think the trust factor is there. Uh, and when you are a booster or a donor and you're, and you're in this collective and you're giving money for something, it's like, who, are we giving the money to and how far does that go uh, with our influence over what's going to happen? And, uh, you know, certainly with USC, when you look at the high school players that they brought in last year with the 2023 class and you look at Malachi Nelson at, at being at the top and, you know, we kind of went over Malachi Nelson in his trip to Texas A&M right before the end of summer for that pool party 
And, you know, he played it off and said it was no big deal. USC knew it was happening. But let me tell you, that was leverage, man. There was a bunch of sources that were talking about that behind the scenes. And they were very much reiterating, yo, USC's got to get their stuff together with NIL. Okay, this is kind of what this is about. And the thing about Malachi Nelson, though, is that his family is very close with Caleb Williams' family. And so there's a trust factor there. There's a connection within the program, and they've known each other for years. And, of course, with Malachi Nelson, there's a connection with Makai Lemon. And with Zach Branch, there's a connection with Zion Branch. So you've got some family ties there. It's like when we go and we look at Anquan uh, Fegan's committing to USC as a 2025 safety, number one safety in the 2025 class from Alabama. Now, if he didn't have the connection of his brother, Traquan Fegan's committed to USC and being a part of USC, then I don't know if that's something that USC would uh, would necessarily see a commitment uh, from his younger brother. I think that probably wouldn't have happened. And I think it wouldn't have happened for two different reasons. One, didn't have his older brother going to USC. So we wouldn't have been visiting USC and two, there's not that connection in terms of NIL and the trust factor of, okay, we have somebody within the program here and there's a, that, that sort of connection uh, back to the younger brother for, for anything of that nature. And I think that also plays in to NIL and the high school ranks and, you know, who USC is, is looking at as a potential NIL um, candidate, because because again, across the board, not all of these players are really going to be NIL candidates uh, from day one. You know, not everybody is going to have sponsorships and endorsements like Malachi Nelson. That's just not going to happen. Uh, it doesn't happen because a they're not rated high enough, but or b they're not at a position that necessarily um, demands that you know they have that type of exposure, and they're going to be able to get eyes on a brand because of who they are. So those things also come into play as well. Uh, and uh, But I think, yeah, the connections to the program are, are very big and representation is very big. I mean, clearly USC wanted to do this a certain way. Now the model of the boulevard has come and gone. That didn't work out. We were skeptical somewhat of that early on. But, you know, I think we took a step back and said, okay, let's just see what happens. USC is taking a different approach here. They have a little bit of a middleman uh, in this whole, you know, sort of collective universe with NIL, but it wasn't a bad idea. I mean, I, I think that the, the the thoughtfulness of it was there, the thoughtfulness of it was there, but the execution and sort of at that point in time, because, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, five years from now, that ends up being, once this is all sort of regulated, kind of more of the model that schools have to kind of go to because things get too out of hand and it's too crazy. But at that point in time, because it's still the wild west and nobody really has a ceiling for, you know, what's, what's really possible with NIL and what's, what should be the money and what's the average, what's the median, you know, what's the protocol Then we don't know any of this stuff. Everybody's kind of flying by the seat of their pants, including the parents and their kids yeah, that it was not efficient enough. It was not quick enough. It was not fast enough. It was not mobile enough of a of a, of a model to be able to keep up with uh, some of these other colleges. Uh, certainly, uh, you know the five families and sort of how they're wheeling and dealing with things. And so now that we move forward, obviously that model has been adjusted. Now there are multiple models that are working for USC from a collective standpoint, and we'll have to see how that goes. But it still sounds like behind the scenes, USC is more focused 
on the transfer portal and more comfortable with recruiting from that perspective. Uh, and, and we'll just have to see, you know, when and if that sort of branches out a little more and, you know, USC kind of goes uh, a little further into the deep end with going after the high school kids. And, and again, you know, is it all about like connections and representation or is it just, hey, you know what? It's time. It's time to go get a bunch of high school kids and we can't or we don't want to just focus on the transfer portal. OK, I'm making a audible here and I'm going to move our emoji talk. till after the break, so we've gone over that sort of hour mark. So we're going to take a quick break. Sounds like there's a phone ringing in the background. So I'm going to let Gerard answer that. But when we come back, we'll talk about emoji, Texas state law passing on NIL, giant skills, Long Beach tournament of champions. And then we'll get into our season one exit survey. So we will be right back after this break. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back, Gerard. Who was on the other line? <laughs> Don't worry about it. It might have been <laughs> Emoji Guy. Someone was hearing the NIL talk, and they were like, maybe it was Moneybags Manford. He called you up, and he was like, uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's get something done. But, yes, we're back. And something I forgot to mention in the top of the show that I'll just throw in here for the break. I did want to say a shout-out to Shotgun Spratling, who did an amazing job filling in for me, hosting – for the Composite Star Recruits last week. And I had some people ask me, you know, is he, you know, cilantro boy certified? I'm going to put shotgun on a temporary year-long cilantro boy probation or probationary period. So after one year, we can reassess for that permanent status. But he is definitely cilantro boy certified, certified on a temporary basis. So thank you to shotgun. Go check out his podcast, The Dato Download, which is becoming very, very popular. And I assume this is going to be a very listened to episode after USC's upset of UCLA in the Pac-12 tournament. So shout out to Shotgun and his Dato Download podcast and Jack Smith, his co-host 
So go check that out. Gerard, ready for some emoji time, even though I know you hate the emoji gimmick that has become, that has taken over USC fans' lives whenever there is one that pops up on social media. The crystal emoji ball. Yeah, the crystal emoji ball. And this afternoon, USC football's uh, Twitter account posted the emoji, followed quickly by Lincoln Riley. So people have been scrambling, hitting the emergency buttons, going into their recruitment bunkers, whatever that may be. Everyone <laughs> wants to know what that means. Who is it? When is it going to happen? doesn't sound like it's going to happen anytime soon. And it does definitely feel like it's an out of state date prospect so we'll have to wait and it see on feels that like, it feels like that <laughs> what makes it feel like that chris you know just the just the essence of that emoji you can it had a little like barbecue sauce on it you can see it dripping from the from the the left finger so you just have to just have to interpret things that you see well usc certainly doesn't want to be the duke ellington of uh college oh, options. interesting interesting so, interesting um i'm thinking yeah that uh usc is is recruiting texas hard i think they've got uh some some good traction there and um you know it's interesting because some of these emojis have come out to fruition some of them have not uh we don't really kind of try to sit there and use the uh we we had the crystal ball stock market i, I remember and to reference that Steve Wilfong did put in uh, a crystal ball for Miles Davis. So, you know, that's something to be considered. Um, But I think uh, we have to just kind of wait and see, as you said. I don't know if it's something – it's certainly not something that we expect to happen before we actually put the podcast up. Um, So uh, I haven't uh, heard of of an actual uh, specific time or date uh, on said uh, potential commitment. Um, but um, it could happen in the near future. You know, it, it's it's hard to kind of uh, to to predict um, with some of these players. I I think you know with the big name guys, you're gonna get an announcement that's probably going to involve some type of um, like hype. You know, it's it's it, there's going to be something about you know, hey, I've got an announcement coming. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. And uh, it's going to be uh, played up a little bit more. Uh, but some of these guys, you know, that are like the three-star guys and they're a little further down the line, uh, they can just sort of pop, you know. They they go and ask for graphics to be made and then the graphics people, you know, leak that to the writers and all of a sudden next thing you know, you got a bunch of crystal balls coming in. So uh, it's a different age in terms of um, trying to uh, predict on, you know, where kids are going uh, the, the day of. You know, as as opposed to, uh, you know, years ago when it was like, you know, when you're making a prediction or a forecast, you really were sort of doing that, just reading the recruit and having a relationship with the recruit. But nowadays it's just like, you know, it's usually I'm, I'm going to pop for whoever uh, makes a graphic or has a video um, that is going to have the announcement, you know, like, I mean, that's where, you know, you always sort of uh, – had a good idea of who was going where before the announcements uh, on the uh, NPC telecast for the Army All-American game. Cause you know, those things kind of have some pre-production that go into them. So mm-hmm. it wasn't exactly like, uh, you know, you were uh, playing uh, pin the tail on the donkey in terms of uh, guessing where certain recruits were going. Gerard, I just want to say your Duke Ellington reference was one of your best on this podcast. I really enjoyed it. So 
keep those up moving into season two of this show. Let's talk about some camp exposure or some tournament exposure. You were actually at the Giants Skills Camp. Why don't you tell me about what you saw out there from the big uglies out there? You know, some guys from St. John Bosco, modern day, some young guys going on. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Uh, past few camps I've been to have really been featuring more of uh, 2027 recruits and, and 2026 recruits than this actual class. It seems like it's really hard to get some of the top players in the current cycle to come out and perform at a camp. <laughs> it's unfortunate, but it seems like a lot of the sort of off-brand camps, you know, that are not the – uh, we're going to give you a bunch of free swag under armor type camp or like a, an elite 11 Nike type camp. Uh, a lot of the other camps it's based mostly on the younger players and they're trying to just kind of get their names out there, which is interesting because certainly from a lineman standpoint, you know, you, you take it with a grain of salt because these kids got a lot of growing to do, you know, linemen are, probably the hardest to project when it comes to seeing a freshman in high school or even a sophomore in high school and knowing what that player is going to look like when they're graduating. We already talked about just some of the offensive linemen that have been drafted in the NFL over the past five, six years and what those guys look like coming out of high school as seniors, uh, let alone what they look like when they were freshmen in high school. So yeah, you, you do take it with a grain of salt, but uh, we went out to giant skills and, and checked it out and, you know, I think the top offensive lineman there was uh, St. John Bosco, 2025 offensive guard, Matei Jefferson, who uh, looks to me as a four-star level guy, a guy that uh, will be in the mix for USC. Uh, I don't believe they've offered him a scholarship yet, but I think that that will come eventually. He's got enough athleticism. You know, he's not necessarily like a great mobile type of guard. Uh, he's listed at, I think, 6'5", 330. And uh, I think, you know, people have even put him higher than that. He doesn't look it. You know, I, I saw him and I I looked at him. I said, how big are you right now? Like, what are you weighing? I said, wait a second. Let me let me guess. And I think I guessed he was like six, four, six, four and a half, uh, 300 pounds. And he's like, no, I'm like 330. So he carries it extremely well. And he was I don't know if he lost the rep in that whole camp. Now, he wasn't going against, um, you know, Trent Wilson. Uh, or Jalen Harvey, or David Stone, uh, or Jericho Johnson. Uh, he was just going against a bunch of guys that you know are, are trying to get Division One scholarships. Uh, but he was definitely uh, the most dominant in the 2025 class. I think it's a, a pretty good player. Um, St. Uh, Ignatius offensive guard Peter Lange was there, and we've seen Peter a couple times this offseason. He was originally at uh, Modern Day, and he's transferred back up north. He's a decent player, um, played more offensive tackle in this tournament than he played in the past. Uh, when we saw him at the pylon tournament, he was playing guard. And I think he's a bit more of a guard. He's a massive offensive lineman, but athletically he gets back on his heels a little bit. Um, he's a bit more of a, of a, of a pass protector than I think is he is running. Um, I think he's run blocking. If you watch on films, kind of where he struggles a little bit just because of his uh, flexibility and his athleticism. So that's going to be interesting to see if, you know, USC, uh, gets involved with him seriously uh, down the line. Um, the, the most impressive offensive lineman I actually saw was from the 2027 class. And there was a lot of young guys there. And when you know 
they're younger guys and they've got so much time ahead of them. They're more intriguing to watch. And certainly Adam Fongelsong, uh, who is a 2020. What a name. What a former, name. Former OC Buckeye he played, I think, for the OG Ducks as well for uh, the 14 team. And just really good. Like he played offensive tackle. Um, a lot of people were pointing me to this kid and that kid. And all of you talked to this kid and that kid. I'm like, who's that kid right there? I mean, that's the guy that's just looks really good. And I mean, what class is he in? If he's in, you know, 2026, he's, he's a good looking prospect. And he ends up being in 2027. He is committed just recently to going to modern day and modern day, man. Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> Dude, the whole under the radar camp, like every top player that was going to, you know, be a guy that we were talking about for potential MVPs were all like modern day guys. I mean, you got Aaron Washington, who's a cornerback, uh, who's going to be one of the top players in that 2027 class going to modern day. Um, you know, we're not sure about Haven, Fe- uh, Haven Feeney. He's potentially uh, maybe going to go to modern day, uh, another big defensive back. Uh, who's, um, you know, kind of looking at Sierra Canyon as well. Uh, he's out of Ranch Cucamonga. Um, but there were just like a, a few different players uh, that were all like signed up, ready to go to modern day. And, and Adam is another one of those linemen in the 2027 class who's just uh, looking like a dominant player. The good news is that there were some good young defensive linemen, interior defensive linemen at the camp. And, um, you know, probably one of the best was Jeremiah Williams, uh, who hasn't committed to go into a specific high school? Uh, and Miles Smith, who who kind of wants to go to Centennial. He's out in Corona, so he's an IE guy, but his dad's talking about maybe him going to L.A. and playing for Cathedral, one of the city schools. Uh, but both those guys are on their ways to being, you know, top interior uh, defensive linemen. You know, really good players, really good natural pass rush skills, very young. Um, you know, still have a lot to, to gain in terms of strength and, and explosiveness. But you saw some size there, you know, some guys that are legitimately already in that 6'1", 6'2", range that uh, have, uh, you know, packed on some pounds already. So, you know, there are some guys down the chain here for USC on the defensive side of the ball, you know, if they stay local, uh, could be guys that I think will be very good players, guys you're going to be hearing about. I, I think it's going to be – um, tough to see where Jer- Jeremiah Williams and Miles Smith wouldn't be guys that uh, we're hearing about in a couple years uh, as being some of the top local prospects. Um, so, you know, Notre Dame, I should say modern days, you know, involved trying to get with those guys too, but they didn't say anything about specifically going to modern day like uh, so many other the players have. You know, Bosco's got to get on it because, you know, <laughs> Bosco's got some guys um, that, that are coming up, but, um, it seems like at uh, both of those camps that we were at, you know, there was a lot of dudes that uh, were committed to going to modern day already, which is an interesting aspect in and of itself. When you talk to the families, because it's a prelude to the recruiting process that they will go through when they're in high school, looking at colleges right now, they're coming from OC Buckeyes are coming from OG ducks rampage are coming from these small, uh, junior, um, uh, Junior, what do they call it? The junior All American um, outfits, uh, these traveling teams, or Pop Warner outfits, actual Pop Warner teams, and so uh, they're now going to high school and they're being recruited by all these different schools. You know, are in their ear about, hey, you know, we want you to come here, and so they have to choose, you know, and they have to say no to people. They have to develop relationships, and and it's like a prelude to when you go through the recruiting process in college. 
and going on visits and trying to pick the school there. So it's it's weird, you know, when you're you know you're talking about kids that are uh, you know that age and 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 that age is is also you know a lot of these guys have been held back and they are you know 13, 14 um and you know you're getting sophomores that are already 15, 16 years old and it's like wow, okay, so that's you know a little different and uh it's all about um you know just making sure you don't turn 19 before October basically is the rule. So everybody sort of butts right up against it. Um, but uh, I've seen, uh, you know, several comments made about some of these kids that are just getting into high school and uh, you know, they're already um, you know, they're already well on their way to being, you know, 14, 15 years old. And uh, most kids are, are, are not that age, <laughs> you know, when they're, when they're in high school, they're, you know, a little bit, uh, a little bit younger. And the other big event that was going on that weekend was the Long Beach Tournament of Champions seven on seven passing event that was hosted by Milliken, and that is for high school teams and their seven on seven with their kids, not not a uh, seven on seven outlet like Premium or all those other schools. So these were just strictly high schools. And Ryan Abraham was there, our publisher, with five stars only Jared Perez. Obviously, neither of those people are on the show, so we can't really talk in detail about it. But the two standouts from that would be Sierra Cannon wide receiver and USC commit Xavier Jordan and Milliken wide receiver Ryan Pelham, who was playing both sides for the Rams. Sierra Cannon ended up making the championship but losing to St. John Bosco because St. John Bosco obviously is a Trinity school. They run a lot of uh, players out there, a lot of high-end talent, obviously. But Ryan did talk about what he saw from Xavier Jordan and the Long Beach Tournament champions in general on the podcast we did on Monday. So you can go and check that out for a more detailed breakdown of that. But unfortunately, I was sad to miss that because that was right in my backyard at Long Beach Beach City College. I almost said Silly College. No, Long Beach City College, which is right up the road from where I live. So unfortunately, didn't get to make that out as I was out to a wedding. But Xavier Jordan really impressed Ryan Abraham. Looks like he's close to making it hit, making him one of his guys when he arrives on campus, you know, assuming he arrives on campus. Just incredible hands and caught just about everything that was thrown his way, racked up the touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. So that's what he does as a wide receiver. So really impressed Ryan Abraham. And again, you can get his thoughts on that from our episode of the Parasol Podcast from earlier this week. And more now, importantly, Chris, they can watch the video. Of him. Also, yes. Uh, on uscfootball.com, uscfootball.com, Inside Troy YouTube channel, and ISO video of him and Ryan Pelham as well. Uh, but yeah, Xavier Jordan, I think uh, Ryan had a great stand up interview, uh, video interview. We don't do a lot of those set video interviews with kids. I mean, for one, there's not been a lot of commitments for USC. So it's not one of those things where you're just generally grabbing every uh, would be prospect to do it. And B, you just never kind of know how kids are going to be on film, you know, when you're asking questions like that. And uh, Xavier did really well. And uh, it was a great interview. You should check it out. And certainly you should check out the uh, ISO film of him and uh, just kind of seeing him a little bit in person. You know, we've seen him a a few times and in just like little bits from different tournaments. And so that was like the first tournament where he really got to play uh, an extended period of time. And uh, I think he had like 10 touchdowns by the time Ryan actually talked to him, which was like after maybe like two games, three games. <laughs> so he had a pretty good tournament. He was he was starting off really hot. And um, I think uh, it ended up being uh, probably one of the most productive p- players, certainly receivers at the tournament as a whole. And 
Gerard, moving on to Willis, Texas quarterback DJ Ladway. Lagway, can you fill me in on this uh, reclassification update we got going on here? Well, yeah, a little interesting little tidbit coming from our Florida site and the Swamp 24-7 site alluding to a potential reclassification of 2025 quarterback Austin Simmons. And that's been talked about now for, you know, for a while. It's, it's Who is committed to Florida? Times. He's committed already to Florida. And so he would be reclassifying basically, you know, two classes uh, to get into UF early. And how, if that would affect DJ Lagway. Now, I have not heard much on the latter. And certainly, you know, that's one that USC could kind of, you know, kind of take another little gander at. You know, we saw what happened with Dylan Riola, where he committed to Ohio State and then decommitted and subsequently committed to Georgia um, with DJ Lagway. It would be interesting to see if USC would get another look if he started to kind of second guess. Um, you know, his, his place with Florida, if you're bringing in uh, another quarterback, a class ahead of him, you know, basically to be in there now. Now, I don't know a whole lot about Austin Simmons and how he stacks up against DJ Lagway. We know DJ Lagway is a little bit raw, uh, but certainly has some natural ability that is pretty unteachable. You know, it's the arm strength, it's the athleticism, the size. I mean, he's a guy that can really let it loose. And it was a big get for Florida, certainly when uh, the whole Jaden Rashada thing sort of uh, had the bottom fall out on that. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see if, um, you know, this this kind of shakes out any which way. And, and if it does impact DJ Lagway, certainly USC is in the market <laughs> for a quarterback in the 2024 class. And um, they have done some evaluations of quarterbacks in the 2025 class. We had a little tidbit on that in the war room, uh, but have yet to offer a scholarship in the class of 2025. So we have talked about uh, Elijah Brown being the only quarterback that USC has offered in the class of 2024. So they're certainly being very picky and, you know, they have not expanded the net, if you will, in the 2024 class. And they have yet to put the net out at all for the 2025 class, which of course does not worry Trojan fans very much because you're talking about Lincoln Riley and you're talking about someone who has developed Heisman trophy winners out of a bunch of transfers, you know, one being a former walk-on. So yeah, uh, there's certainly not uh, much desperation or anxiety when it comes to the quarterback position for USC, but um, certainly it's interesting to watch. And it's just one of those things that, you know, uh, could be coming down the pike here in the next couple of months, uh, if Austin Simmons actually enrolls at uh, Florida for this year, because it wouldn't be a reclassification from what I understand for the 2024 class, it would actually be a reclassification for the 2023 class. So again, we'll see what shakes out there and what happens, but there's been some tea leaves there and some things mentioned by Billy Napier um, talking about the quarterback position as if they have four guys that are going to be there in the fall and uh, they don't presently. So everybody's basically speculating is like, who would it be? And uh, we know that uh, previously Austin Simmons has actually talked about reclassifying that again, I, you know, how all this happens. I mean, you know, certainly you have guys who get held back 
And we just talked about that a little bit, you know, with some of these camps with younger kids and they're seventh graders and eighth graders, but you know, they're 14 and they're going on 15 years old. And you're like, wow, what the heck, you know? Um, so, you know, with homeschooling and everything else that goes on, you know, there's it, it, sometimes more than meets the eye uh, with this. And, and, you know, that's something that probably has to be taken into um consideration more when I think it comes to rankings and, and trying to figure that out. And that is one of those things that it's a little personal and it's a little difficult to ask a parent, like, you know, how old is, is your son, you know, cause he's playing against these kids and he might actually be a year or two older than all of these kids. You know, I can't even imagine what it would have been like for me if I would have been held back a year or two and playing high school football, you know, I still would have been, you know, not big enough to, to play college football, but shoot, I would have been a heck of a lot better. You would have been a war <laughs> daddy. A, I would have been a war daddy. Yeah, I would have. I mean, it's just the confidence and, you know, just everything. Like, you just would have been older, um, you know, as opposed to being a sophomore in college. I would have been a senior in high school. would have been a little different. So, yeah, that's something that, you know, I, I mean, it's become the norm and it's been the norm for a while. I mean, I can remember going back to the Jimmy Clausen era and Oaks Christian and everybody talking about, you know, he's going to be – you know, on college uh, campus and he's going to be, you know, 20 year old freshman. And um, it's, it's, it's just not talked about a lot openly kind of like NIL, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, uh, you know, how much of it is your business? But I do think for the guys that are ranking these kids, it's kind of got to be something that, you know, you know, you have to have some type of understanding of the layout of, you know, who's actually, you know, older, you, what you tend to get, is like in the case of Sue Cravens, who was like 16, he was actually like a year younger than most of the kids in his class. And so, you know, his parents and the people that were working out with him were very, you know, uh, vocal about that. Like, yeah. And you know what? He's actually a year younger than most of the kids he's playing against, but you don't usually hear that from the parents who have the kids that are a year or two older than most of the kids that they're playing against. And our final kind of topic, we're going to get a little political because there is a new Texas state law that's been passed on NIL and it could change things uh, across the country or just in Texas. I'm not actually too familiar about this state law, Gerard, so maybe you're going to have to take the reins on that. I'm going to take the reins on this one. Well, the Texas- you put it in here. You put yeah. it in here. So... <laughs> Well, that was just me thinking I'm kind of taking the reins on all of this. So it's like, you know, par for the course when it comes to talking, I'm, I'm, I'm talking. So I just feel like I'm talking too much. Um, But uh, let me continue. Um, The Texas state law on NIL, that's just up for being passed. I think it's at the governor's desk. Now Uh, there was a lot of weird interpretations that were coming off of Twitter and I saw it pop up on our board and I originally read it off of Twitter and kind of was like ho-hum about it. And then I saw it on the board and I was like, am I not reading? What am I What am I not reading in this that other people are reading? Because the interpretations were basically this was a law that was going to exempt universities from having any sort of governance by the NCAA. And like any sort of um, illegal benefits or something that conflicted with NCAA policies and bylaws uh, were no longer going to be within the realm of the NCAA to be able to enforce. And that's not the case. I don't know where the Twitter reporters were kind of getting that from and, and that interpretation where 
This was allowing state schools or schools within the state like Texas, Texas A&M, Baylor, Texas Tech, et cetera, to be able to break bylaws. Um, oh, this, is, yeah, this is most welcome to my world. Um, this is then you're not even hearing the, the vibrating phone. Um, th- this is a, a law that's basically just saying that the schools in Texas are able to initiate NIL and not be persecuted within the state because the current state laws, the current laws are still the old laws that are basically saying that amateurism are in, in step statewide as well as with the NCAA. But now this is kind of getting things up to speed where the NIL and the schools and those individuals that are endorsing amateur athletes are able to do so without uh, any uh, repercussions. And so it's it's just sort of keeping up with things. It's not this weird thing where um, it's breaking away from what the NCAA can do and cannot do. Um, basically, when it comes to NIL, all you need to know is that the state laws are going to begin to override anything and everything that the NCAA has in terms of regulatory power. So in other words, when you're getting into financial private sector type of um, business issues, and this is what NIL is, uh, NIL is not coming from these schools. Okay. So, you know, once again, we'll, we'll kind of rehash for, for folks that maybe they're still confused a little bit about NIL. The schools themselves are not paying the players. The schools themselves do not want to pay the players. The schools themselves want to keep their nonprofit uh, tax exempt um, category label as long as possible. And so they don't want anything to do with directly paying players. So it is the private sector of boosters, donors, and collectives that are paying the money uh, if it's not an actual company like a Beats or a Nike or somebody else that is going to endorse a player. So it's not coming from the school. So with that, it's the private sector that really has control over this money and whatever contracts that are being formed and created uh, for the sake of NIL. So the NCAA is basically being phased out from that standpoint. And these states are just making sure that the schools themselves are covered uh, when they actually have someone um, that has some association with the school vis-a-vis a student a pro, a student athlete who is uh, being paid by someone else while he's in college because amateurism is is dead. You know, amateurism is no longer a thing. Uh, they're going to be it's basically pro-am at this point because you, you will have some players that are not getting paid, uh, but uh, you will have plenty of players that are getting paid. So this is, again, state laws versus the NCAA. And state laws are going to supersede that. State laws are just going to be what everybody is going to look at. Now, where that becomes a mess is the fact that states don't agree on how to govern private sector (laughs) from state to state. California state laws on business are much different than Texas state laws on business, which are different than Florida state laws on business. And so, I mean, there still is the indirect control that the NCAA has and that they can put pressure on the institutions themselves as to have a certain way of doing things in order to keep 
their relationship, their partnership within the NCAA. I guess I should say membership as a part of the NCAA. Um, but, you know, the collective regulation that everybody's looking for, it's going to have to come from the states. It's going to have to come from someone who can directly enforce um, commerce. And that is not the NCAA. The NCAA doesn't even have subpoena power over uh, any individual who is not a part of an institution. So, yeah, they don't have the ability to look into financial records. They don't have any of that. And so, you know, the big joke right now with collectives is that they're just shell companies, you know, kind of put up like their charities or they're these, these nonprofit companies in some situations. And the boosters and the donors themselves are, are not actually like on the lease for it. It's like sort of like done through like some former players or whatever. But the people that are actually supplying all the money are not really on it officially because, you know, if they need to do or want to do things that are outside of what the NCAA says, um, then, you know, they, they don't necessarily have any kind of uh, association in the university because they, if they are boosters, then you have to like officially, um, you know, put, put in for being a booster. Like you, you have to have that like association with the university. And so, you know, the people that are probably involved with uh, some of the more brazen collectives are, are not necessarily on there officially. You know, they're, they're kind of, again, it's, it's, it's like a shell company of sorts to be able to negotiate deals and, and work with things. And so um, from that standpoint, you know, that is still wait and see. You know, we're still trying to figure out what the ceiling is for all of that. Is there going to be any regulation? Again, unfortunately, it's going to end up in the laps of the states and is there is there any cohesion there you know are some states going to allow some things that other states don't uh it's hard to know you know the ncaa will continue uh, to exist at least in the foreseeable future uh, as being able to kind of put pressure on the institutions and say hey listen we have to have some kind of law what what what, uh, what, what uh, movie is that from i couldn't tell you but it was a amicable it was amicable is not the word. It was a <laughs> decent uh, Texas draw. It sounded like you were doing. We got to have some kind of law. I think that was from Tombstone. It was from White Herb. It was from one of those cowboy movies. I think it was okay. from Tombstone. Um, I have vague recollection of those movies. I probably haven't seen them, but I. They're both they're good it, movies, you know. Okay. Okay. They're it's both just good a good old... Tombstone is Tombstone is is probably everybody's number one. You know, it, it, I think Val Kilmer just killed it. Uh, as Doc Holiday, but you know, underrated. Unfortunately, came out almost like the same summer with Kevin Costner and Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid, who lost like I don't know how many pounds of weight to look like a sickly Doc Holiday. I commend you. You know, you you, you a lot of people are like, eh, whatever. Doc Holiday is always going to be Val Kilmer. And listen, Val Kilmer, he's got swag. He did it well. I love Tombstone, but yeah, I mean, you know what? I, I can watch Wyatt Earp and it's not a bad movie. It's, it's, it's a good movie as well. Uh, neither. I think we're very historically accurate from what I understand, but sure. <laughs> nevertheless, sure. uh, we got to have some kind of law. So yeah, it, it, I don't know if these, these, these governing bodies are going to be able to get together and, uh, and, and actually have some cohesion and what's, uh, what's possible and what's not. Um, but we'll see, you know, again, we're still in the infancy of this whole thing. Unfortunately, you know, again, going to these camps and there's like seventh graders and their parents and they're asking me these questions about what's going on. And, and you know, what, 
you know, what, what are you hearing as far as this guy and how much he got? And, you know, these kids, I mean, there was one kid, I'm not going to name names here, but he was talking about how he's going out of state. He's a defensive end. He's going to go play for a big time high school that is uh, in Florida. And he's, you know, getting paid to do that. They're relocating him. And he's like, you know, coaches out there kept real with me. They're going to do this, this, and this for me. I don't think it's a good move for him, but, you know, it's not my place to tell him that. Uh, He and his family are going to make that decision, and he's going out there to go play high school football um, because, you know, they're going to help him out financially. That's for high school. You know, that's just wild. Is he even in high school? or is No, not yet. No, he's not in high school yet. So he's going out there for his freshman year of high school football. I would predict he's probably going to end up back here at some point, but – Nevertheless, there's that aspect of things. And like you have to imagine, like covering this now, you know, there are those kids that are like, um, yeah, to do interviews. So I need like some payment and stuff. And you're going, dude, you don't understand that this is the opportunity you get for free publicity. This is how you build your brand. You need to be going to these places and talking on camera and 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 getting used to. Uh, being on camera and, and being quoted and, and you know, because nobody knows who you are right now. I don't care if you're a five star from a big time high school. Dude, you realize like there's, you know, 76,000 seats in the Coliseum. There used to be 93,000. You realize that USCFootball.com does not have 93,000 subscribers. I wish we did, but we don't. <laughs> and no, no. Uh, recruiting site, team site, anywhere has anywhere near that type of number. Okay. So what does that tell you? That tells you that people are not that interested and you're getting a microcosm of that, but that is the transition. That is you introduce yourself to the people that are the hardcore fans that might actually buy your jersey that might be interested and then you try to get to that stage of being in the Coliseum and then to all those other people that are just there because USC's having a good season. There because Caleb Williams is a Heisman Trophy winner and they saw him on SportsCenter. Those type of people that are also going to be brand buyers. They're going to go out and they're going to go buy toothpaste. And they're going to go buy Gatorade. They're going to go to this restaurant because, oh, yeah, I remember I seen him in that restaurant. That's the guy that played for USC. And it's it's that sort of transition of building up your name. If you're lucky enough to get to that point to where you are a mainstream star like a Caleb Williams. But you can't, like, shut things down as, as a junior in high school and say, well, I'm not doing anything until I get paid. Dude, you are cutting yourself off. You're cutting yourself off for a couple bucks now uh, as opposed to again building your brand uh, building your craft being able to speak in front of people listening to yourself you know and 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 kind of getting a, a feel for being on camera public speaking and, and just going through that process now so you're good at it once you actually get to college and then in college they're going to coach you up even more and then you're going to be able to get to the point where, you know, you can actually give coherent answers uh, to questions, <laughs> which, you know, we don't always get at the high school level. You know, people are always like, hey, man, why don't you put some interviews in with the podcast? And we could do that on some occasions, just like, you know, we could have some recruits on uh, our live show on some occasions. I mean, Ryan has done that. You know, we had Miller Moss on during the COVID year and Miller spectacular. Miller's a fantastic speaker, very smart, very well-spoken, very articulate, 
But that is not true of many of the kids that we talk to. Many of the kids that we talk to just don't know what to say or they just have problems answering the question you actually ask them and they give some other weird kind of answer and it sort of gets awkward and you don't want that. Like we like to protect the kids. Like I write an article. I'm not putting a bunch of ums in there. I'm not putting them. You know what I'm saying? And you know, uh, there's a lot of sort of slang and stuff that ends up in there. It's like, eh, I know how it reads for the fans. So I want to make it clear. And I want to make all these kids sound like they know what they're talking about. But the reality situation is, yeah, there's a lot of other stuff in there that if I was a court reporter, I mean, you'd read it and go, what the hell is this dude saying? You know, <laughs> you have to ask a question sometimes two or three times to sort of go, okay, is this, this is what you mean. Cause this is what I need to do. I need to get the clear meaning of what you want out there and get it to the public, right? That they understand where you're coming from and they understand you to a certain extent. I'm introducing you to the Trojan fan base and to fan other fan bases. And I think that's very important. These are kids, right? They're not, again, they're not having gone through college and they haven't been prepped up by the PR people. And hey, this is what you say when they ask you this and that's that and the other. So you kind of have to play a little bit of that role to some extent. And hey, you mean you're giving me my time. That's the least I can do. I'm shocked that there's not more kids and more parents and more people in the process that don't reach out to me more about that aspect of things. The perspective, somebody who's worked in the business for 20 years and I've seen various different networks and how different people work and how different writers do different things. And just from a media standpoint, you know, how, how does it come off? Like, like kind of give us a little bit of your time to kind of tell us like how this really works. Most people are just, you know, they're more involved with the school end of things and you know, how the, the college coaches are thinking, or it's about rankings. <laughs> it's about why isn't my son a five-star or four-star or, or, or the kids themselves saying I should be a five-star or a four-star. And it's like, dude, at this point, you've got the offers. Who cares? I know you're competitive, but who cares? That is subjective. That is an opinion. Uh, you you need to think of other things that are more important long-term that are going to help you, especially in this era when you have NIL. Take it from a couple of one-stars. Stars don't matter all that much, especially on the composite two-star recruits. I wish I could end on that segment, but we still have a bunch of things to talk about. And that would be our season one exit survey. I teased it at the top. I started a thread on the Peristyle asking people to give their season one reviews, suggestions, favorite quotes, favorite bits, things they want to see from us in the future. So I'm doing that in lieu of listener questions. But just a reminder, if you want to send us a question, you can email us at podcast at uscpeople.com. Just make sure you put the composite, Slantra Boys, 10K, Hurricane, whatever that may be in the subhead. So it will go to my inbox. Gerard, are you ready to run through some recollection, no, reflection of season one? Not at all. Not at all. He says, not at all. I'm going to take that as a serious not at all, not just some bit you're doing. But here we go. Irvine Trojans 714 says, more live streams when you guys can. That seems to be a number one thing among uh, some of the feedback I've seen. They want us to do more live streams, Gerard. And one day, my hope is when Gerard is able to move out of the basement and we're able to get him a hookup for a podcasting room or setup that we can do uh, more live shows, definitely more live shows uh, remotely. Me here in the studio and him at his home podcasting 
office studio. Or I thought you were going to say when he moves out of the IE. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not what I, I – when we get you out of that garage, Gerard, when we get you out of the garage into a, a we well-lit room. we get you out of the room. Inland Empire and we moved you to Rodondo. Then we'll no, get you no. on a live show every week and we'll have a weekly live show. Somebody I know in there, and I'm jumping ahead, did say you that are. they needed a daily three- to four-hour podcast. And I'm thinking to myself, listen, <laughs> we, there, there's nothing that we could cover about USC recruiting which would take us two to three hours a day to talk about. Like we would be rehashing that stuff that we said the day before so much if we were on that consistently. I mean, you don't have regular podcasters that are variety sports podcasters that go on for that amount of time. You mean <laughs> you you have to have like a very broad audience with a very broad amount of topics to talk about. I don't think USC football recruiting <laughs> quite requires us to be on two to three hours a day. JRUSC says needs more cilantro. So we got to up the cilantro, Gerard, as we move forward into season two. Cease B says great content and always entertaining, but open up the wallet and upgrade Hur- Hurricane's home studio. Borrow Ryan's corporate card. Well, as we mentioned, Hurricane does have a new mic. He does also want to get a headset mic. So we might have to steal Ryan's corporate card for that and get him one of those. But we're working towards it. He's got a new mic, so his his uh, hopefully the volume is going to be better for this episode, but we'll play around with that. But definitely on the way to upgrading uh, Gerard's uh, podcasting hookup. Crown City first and Crown City says first and foremost, thank you both for adding this podcast to the uscfootball.com lineup. Always a must listen. Possible to include future interviews with high school and seven on seven coaches on talent development and recruiting from their perspective. Not expecting comments on individual prospects, more on the process, how it's done well or not, and the evolving impact of NIL on securing a student-athlete's commitment. So opening up to more interviews for high school coaches and seven-on-seven coaches that we know in the area, Gerard. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be easier to do. Uh, I know someone asked if we could bring in Gavin more often we've had gavin on the live show two or three times actually right now lincoln riley doesn't allow any staff members uh support staff members specifically to do interviews in general so that's obviously off the table we can't have gavin on the show as we previously did um but in terms of guys that do what gavin used to do you know in terms of being connected with the high school uh, seven on seven scene Maybe some of the trainers. I know so many people. Yeah, that w- it would be interesting, you know, sharing old war stories with certain guys. Uh, you know, there's quite a few guys that, um, you know, could maybe just give them a call and and have a have a chat. You know, there's a lot of things. The juicy stuff nobody really ever wants to go on record with because obviously a lot of these guys have relationships with uh, the college coaches and the college football programs, and you don't want to necessarily speak out of class about something or a story, but uh, maybe, you know, maybe we could finagle some things and and have some, some conversations. I, I do think we have to interject that because we do this basically by phone, you know, more or less um, in terms of our, you know, feedback with each other when we're speaking, we can't see each other. So it's one of those things where it's very easy for me to talk over Chris or for Chris to talk over me. And not necessarily like hear what 
each other said. You know, I, I hear a couple words of what Chris said, and I'm like, oh, wait, wait, what would you say? And so when you're in a studio together and you kind of look at each other and you kind of know, oh, oh, he's got something to say, or I'm not done talking, you can have multiple people on the mic and it's, you know, everybody sort of is looking at each other. It's like a normal conversation that you would have in person. But when you try to do that over the phone, just go to like one of those Twitter spaces <laughs> conversations that people have and you just got people talking over each other the whole damn time and it's hard to understand what anybody is saying so it's a little difficult we would have to do something where and i've done this in the past i did this uh, with the podcast uh, years and years ago it, it's just a lot more work for something where you know we have like an interview and let's say with uh, a kid or his parents or somebody that's like okay this is a good clean interview and it's and it's good we can put it on the podcast um, just as, you know, sort of like a little bit of an excerpt of of the interview. But we're also writing stories. And so it's like we're doubling the work of, OK, we've just transcribed this whole thing, put it on the website. Most people want to read it anyways. It's hard for people to just listen to stuff. You know, they're not you're not always somewhere where you can listen to a video and watch it. And so you're kind of like redundantly like, oh, yeah, OK, so here's the podcast. I know there's some value in it because you get to hear from the horse's mouth if it's a, a player talking about his top 10 or or something like that. Um, but certainly uh, maybe questions or, or regarding the topic of the process in general. Certainly, I think there would be some value in just reaching out uh, to, to various folks about NIL, about the transfer portal about recruiting now, because we are in this weird space where everything has changed in the past two to three years because of those two big factors within the recruiting process. And so um, there's a bunch of people that are involved with these kids that, uh, you know, talk to you on a regular basis. And just from a general standpoint, not necessarily all about like SC, you know, how, how do you think SC? Cause nobody's going to want to say on record. Yeah. I, I just don't like the approach SC's having blah, blah, blah. And they're just going to rip SC. Um, I just think if in general talking about the craziness of everything, cause that's just what comes up in conversation over and over and over again is like, yeah, it, it's wild right now. Like the stuff we're hearing and it may not all be true, but even if a quarter of it is true, um, it's just crazy. <laughs> it's like, how, how do you even, how do you, how are you a college coach right now and keep up with it? It's just, it's wild. It's nuts. And the thing is, is I think in some situations, the college coaches are just kind of like whatever a laissez faire and, and it's the collectives and the boosters that are just like all gun ho about it, but that's only going to last so long until, you know, people are putting money into these kids and these prospects and, and ends up kind of like not turning out to be what they thought it was going to be. And then they're going to, probably not want to 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 invest as much and again be as brazen and and you know they the thought now is like you can just buy a class and and put together this great football roster but it's tough to do that in football there's a lot of moving pieces there and so once that becomes unsuccessful you know you're maybe going to see some of these boosters and these in these folks go you know what I'd rather put like $3 million towards a facility. <laughs> At least it'll be there in the next 20 years and I'll have my name on it, you know, and I can all tell all my friends, look at this great thing that's on campus. Yeah, that's because of me. You can take me. Look how great I am. Instead of, you know, this player that went there for, you know, six months and then uh, after spring ball transferred out to another school. I don't know how you went from talking about us being can't on a phone call and can't see each other and talking over each other to another NIL spiel. Just... That's the magic of Gerard Hurricane Martinez. He can do it all 
SC Dad underscore says more unsubstantiated rumors. Gerard, this is your fault. You created the unsubstantiated unsubstanti- unsubstantiated rumors uh, cult like following. So that's all on you. I just wanted to read these two back to back because they represent the 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 what's the word the the uh, disagreement among our fan base. Thanks, 10K. This has been my. This comes from S SC Clip or SC Lip. Thanks, 10K. This has been my favorite podcast of all all time. A few thoughts. Don't try to cut episodes short. The longer, the better. Let Gerard go off on those tangents. His stories are epic. And then right under him, best Lakers fan says, rapid fire responses and answers, rapid fire responses and answer questions more often. Have a section that is for those that don't want to listen to the two or three hours and can get everything done in about 20 minutes. If you are a host and sometimes and sometimes just go off in directions that are irrelevant to a recruiting podcast, you need to wrangle them in. Being concise is an art. Let's paint. So two very different suggestions. Someone says, let you go off all the tangents you want. Another says, keep him reined in. I will do no such thing. I will do no such thing because it seems like more people want you to just go off and, and do what you want to do, Gerard. Yeah, well, it's not what I want to do, but yeah, I think getting into the weeds and getting detailed and specific and explaining things makes this podcast unique to other podcasts. You know, they're podcasts on many different subjects, and certainly uh, I don't uh, know the the variation that exists out there, but certainly I think when it comes to recruiting in college football, I'm getting into the weeds about specific things and, you know, trying to, again – bring together the football team as we see it now and how and what impact the recruits themselves specifically have to that team. You know, it's sort of where the rubber meets the road and and getting in there and again, explaining it in full and not just hitting the sort of, Hey, I think this guy's going to go here. And I think this guy really likes USC. He has medium interest. Well, he has high interest. You know, I mean, the Sports Center sort of ESPN signing day show is not what I think a lot of fans that subscribe to a site like uscfootball.com want. You know, they want detail, they want accuracy, but they also want an explanation, especially for something that is not a true science. You know, like I've always shied away from the recruiting expert sort of title. I mean, for one, because a, I, I'm, I'm not much of a recruiting expert. It's hard to be an expert in something that changes so fluently and is so hard to predict. You know, can you be an expert in the psychology of a 17-year-old boy? That's pretty hard, you know? And so, you know, from that standpoint, you know, it, it's it's a little bit, um, I don't know, disingenuine to call yourself an expert, in my opinion. And then also just even from the scoop standpoint, it's never been my ambition to go run around and follow 16 year old and 17 year old boys and, you know, uh, hang on every word. You know what? You'll go somewhere. (laughs) You'll go to a school. You're a good player. Football is what brings me here. You know, how good of a football player are you? What do you bring to the table as a football player? And how does that translate to what USC is doing uh, with their football team? You know, the dynamic of the scheme and the design and uh, what you actually see on the field and the talents of those football players. That's more interesting to me than the human drama experience. Uh, aspect of the recruiting process, which is, you know, a, a lot of, the, you know, sort of prima donna meets um, very uh, sort of, uh, 
you know, dirty pool recruiting tactics, which, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I know there's a lot of people that are very interested in that. They get sucked into that. That's why you watch reality TV, right? Well, guess what? It's all scripted, man. <laughs> it's not reality. No, it's, it's all real. It's real. Yes, drama. It's about as real as WWE. And um, I think once you kind of get to that point where you've seen that, you go, okay, all right, that's cool. I mean, there's there's going to be that kid every cycle. There's going to be that drama. There'll be a few outliers that are, you know, a little unique, but that kind of thing happens. And it's like at the end of the day, you know, USC is going to get who they get. And in that point, like, what does it look like? You know, what is it building towards? And that is more interesting because, again, that's where football comes in. That's what that's the love. That's where the passion is for me. It's not uh, the psychology of a, a 17 year old kid. Andrew, a 91 wrote a lot of things, but I just want to start with the high level review. He let the two star pod has substantially increased my life happiness. Wow. That is a very, very big review. And I, we appreciate that. It is something that I look forward to every single week. And the information that we get, it's worth its weight in gold. The only con is that it's just more content to fuel my USC football addiction. But that's on me, not you. The single biggest compliment that I can give you is that my wife, who knew less about sports prior to Coach Lincoln Riley than any human who has walked this earth, (laughs) is now fully into USC and loves listening to the pod with me every week. So you have played a major part in converting not only a non-USC fan, but a non-sports fan and is somebody who now legitimately follows recruiting. Wow, that might be the best review that we have ever gotten. And I hope, Andrew, you will put this actually on the uh, review it on Apple Podcasts because this is a great review and would love to have that up there for the public to see. Thank you so much for that. Some of his favorite things he listed as unsubstantiated rumors, Gerard, with a little duh. Timestamps, which unfortunately I will not have timestamps for this one. Because the Skype is acting up and is not actually showing what, how long we've been going or where I can mark it down. So, unfortunately, I'm sorry. Season one finale will not have timestamps. Other, other favorite things, GM's analysis of the current USC team and game reviews. I love his recruiting analysis, obviously. But hearing GM talk about the current USC team is my oxygen. Things he doesn't really care about, offerless. I don't get much value in here. You guys rattle off the names, heights, weights locations of players that USC has offered. I, I can agree with that. It's not very the most uh, engaging uh, yeah. topic that yeah. we do. Maybe we'll move away from that. Maybe just pick out some interesting offers, not necessarily all the offers. Uh, suggestions. How about some more guests, specifically guests associated with recruiting? People like Gavin's or other people like Gavin or the others on the recruiting staff. Gerard kind of talked on that. Uh, LA, like some LA seven on seven coaches. But what about even some current USC commits that can get in-depth on how in-depth info on how the recruiting process went down? I'd love to hear GM specifically interact with these types of people, but of course, would also love CT's perspective as well. Maybe more predictions on who will commit where. Okay. Well, Andrew, again, thank you so much for the amazing review and your feedback for this show. Average Joe three four three says, "What the two star come back?" comes back after vacation and go off on a sabbatical just when the June official recruiting month to start. What's up with that? No, we are not taking a sabbatical. I had my break. Season two is picking up right next week. So do not let that rumor go unsubstantiated. Hey, at Chris and Trevino, that is from Bogle Dog One. Glad to see you are back in the game on the Two Star Podcast. Don't let Shoddy take away what you created, LOL. You and GMAR do a great job. Love the pod. 
plus one for unsubstantiated rumors. We have Shoe 63 Really enjoy the show and look forward to each weekly episode. A USC fan since 1948 when we got pummeled by the Rose Bowl, but when we got pummeled in the Rose Bowl by Michigan 49 to zero. Got a piece of the goalpost after the 1953 Rose Bowl victory over Wisconsin. What a fact. Sat bas- sat basketball. Wait, sat basketball at USC on the last team. Maybe it's saw basketball at USC on the last team to win the conference title outright. Love the long shows and look forward to them each week. Keep them coming with the content content you like. That is the key to the show that you guys love to talk USC sports, and I love to listen. Thank you, Shoe Sixty Three. I just realized this is this is going to be two pages of Chris reading information from the premium peristyle to a free podcast. Chris, I'm going to have to ban you. This is not uh well, I guess if that if you put it if you boil down the rules to that, then yes. But I think these people want to hear their feedback on the podcast, which is in itself a VIP experience. So. Lawyer counter, lawyer counter you. I expect no break from season one to season two. So season premiere recorded May 31st and dropped the 1st of June. Yes, that is exactly what's going to happen. I listen to every USC football pod. I really enjoy the two-star pod and love the length and in-depth takes. It's great for my drive to work or just doing stuff around the house. I appreciate all the effort you guys put in. I even enjoyed your recruiting draft clash review, expecting the 2024 draft clash review dropping soon. Gerard, there's one, uh, at least one person who will read if we do a 2024 one. Can't wait for the 24-hour live stream. Def Leopard sucks. P.S. Shoddy, enjoy your baseball pod, too. Just can't listen to it as often as the football pods. A 24-hour live stream of unsubstantiated rumors. Thanks. That's from Fight on Josh 123 and the previous one I don't think I mentioned was AKA Boone. Uh, the Dan has some feedback. Lots to get. But, uh, basically just uh, get you closer to the microphone or get you a new mic, which we have taken care of. They want more guests as well. And not all content is equal. Spend 30 minutes on the drama of trying to land a five-star we want equals great content. Spend 30 minutes running through Friday Night Lights. Less engaging. So longer pods are fine if it is chocked full of engaging content. Uh, content. So if not, three hour hours with a lot of filler stuff feels forced. Okay, that is taken into account. Uh, favorite segments: recruiting, NIL, high school games, USC opponents, guest speakers, etc. I'm not sure what etc is. Do you know what etc is, Jordan? Etc. Sorry, I was reading the peristyle for. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what ETC stands for. I don't either. I'd have to see it written. I'm not on that thread. I'm actually it's just literally just ETC. No, USC's new interim executive administrator has been named. And yeah, I, I asked I asked Gerard if he wanted to react to the Mike Bone stuff, and he just went like, "How does this affect recruiting?" I was like, "I don't think it needs to affect recruiting. I think they just want to hear what you have to say." about it but yes i mean i could only speak on what it could potentially do from an impact standpoint i mean of course the recruits will come in especially on a big recruiting weekend and they will meet the ad and he will talk about the vision of the school and you know that can help there's a certain amount of presentation that goes along with that but is that a deal breaker i mean 
Mike Bone wasn't as involved as Pat Hayden was in the recruiting process. Pat Hayden, who actually went in on some in-home visits for USC, and I think USC lost out on every one of those recruits. So at the end of the day, nice. probably not a huge impact. I know that uh, that was said um, early on when uh, all of this broke about Mike Bone uh, resigning at USC and someone had said something to the effect that, uh, you know, we're going to have issues with recruits left and right because of this. And somebody asked me about, you know, whether bone would sit down and talk to any specific recruit. And there was one specific name that came out that was going to visit and it was asked, you know, is this going to, is, is, I think it was sarcastically is, you know, the Mike Bone factor going to be a big issue for him. And I'm thinking, well, it depends on whether he was standing to the right or left when he heard the news. So, yeah, at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to be a huge deal. Uh, it would be nice if they had an AD named and, you know, they could sit down, he or her, and talk about uh, the school and just have another person to basically sell the school. But um, I, it would it would have to be, you know, somebody specific uh, that would um, maybe – uh, resonate either with the recruits or be a name that would be familiar enough with the recruits. Um, but, you know, I mean, they had Lynn Swan as an AD, you know, and Lynn Swan, yeah, pretty big time football player in his own right. But, you know, any of those kids really know who Lynn Swan was from the Pittsburgh Steelers? Probably not. Lynn Swan would probably, or someone else would have to introduce him and explain who he was and how, you know, that's a big deal. A former football player that went to USC is now the AD. You know, you can do it too, right? You know, it's it's uh, life after football. Um, but uh, at the same time, I, I don't know that that was anything that actually sold any recruits on USC at that point. 405 Trojan says, love the pod. As others mentioned, live streams are cool. Add some extra interaction. Good stuff either way. Gate call says, my favorite was hearing Chris attempt to wrap up the show and looking at how much time is left. You know, high school coaches and programs across the region hearing more Hearing more there is untapped content. What are the head coaches and staffs like? The recent history of the program. How do you rate the talent level of the schools? 19 Trojan, 19 Trojan 92. The pod is the best part of my week. Mike level issue is real again. I think we've we've got that covered. I think so. So let us know how Gerard sounded. Midlothian, come to Troy. Commit more, to the Trojans and become one of the chosen. More guests are more guests are good, but not essential. Keep doing what you are doing. Looking forward to season two. Love this podcast. I can be two hours to work. So my only real suggestion would would don't ever try to put time limits or restraints on Gerard. Let that man talk as long as he wants. My only negative, my only negative, I would say, is that when the conversation shifts too much for too long about non-USC football, that's from 14 Lopers. Uh, easy Trojan says my favorite show on the P lineup being honest, love the 30 minute rants from Gerard on old stories, tidbits from Chris, and all the in-depth analysis on the topics, whether it's commitment game, high school visitors and such. One of my favorite episodes, episodes you guys did. And I hope there's a new edition of it was building the 2023 class group. Previously, not all the players mentioned ended up coming. So another one for our draft class, uh, review segment, and we'll do more of those rounds as we move forward. Uh, that's not a person. That's just Gerard saying something in the comments. Uh, Jay Brax, one, you one, just try to two. person me. I never, yes, I did. I'm sorry. Never take a week off again. You ruined my life. And number two, I still feel GM should tell a weekly crazy recruiting story from the past 
maybe let details out that he couldn't 10 years ago. What do you think, Gerard? Uh, I don't know. Are there enough stories to actually go around every week? I mean, <laughs> gosh, they're not all crazy, you know. They're the Mike, but Goodson some are stories. But there, yeah, there are some that are that are a little wild. But you know, even ten years, like you don't want to. Like sometimes people just look bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? They they did some stupid. It looks stuff. bad ten years ago. Fifteen. <laughs> it looks bad twenty years fifty ago. years ago. Yeah. You know, it's like. Maybe when they're dead, <laughs> you can talk about the stupid stuff that they did or said or whatever situation. You know, it's sort of like uh, I don't ever want to get that call. Like, hey, man, she told me that you were talking about me in a podcast. Yeah, I don't want to do that. You're like, what podcast? Is that who's calling you now? <laughs> yeah, really. Calling? <laughs> uh, Darren LT says, Chris, you are greatly appreciated. This is just my opinion. But before GM's co-hosts would openly try and rush him so the show could end before it even began, it felt like a recruiting podcast was an inconvenience for them. Now it's the opposite. I don't know the ratings, listening numbers for Two Star, but they have to be high. Don't change a thing. You and Gerard are what make the Two Star what it is. And thanks again for all the hard work. You are appreciated. P.S. GM knows knows how the Parastel feels about him. I will just say we have very good ratings and we have very good numbers. So thank you for everyone listening. We're moving on to our final page. Actually, it just moved to three pages. I have no idea what's on the third page. But, okay, I'm going to rain on this damn parade. This show absolutely sucks. I think one three-hour show per week is enough. To enough. This is a complete joke. With that being said, I'll take all the content I can get. That's from uh, Dago Boy 1691 More cilantro the better from Sammy87. So that's like our third calls for more cilantro. SC Zay says, let GM cook. Gerard, do you feel like you're cooking enough on this show? I'll be cooking this summer when I'm in this garage. And you got that IE 116 <laughs> temperatures going. I'm cooking. I'm cooking just fine. He is, uh, yeah. So we got to we gotta get him a fan or something. Uh, the 760 Trojan says, more GM and less shotgun. Less off time. Uh, we have... St- Stun Naom, Stunna, Stunna one, Stunna one. I like the I like the cold open and want to keep that going. So finally, I someone who appreciates a good old cold open. Non vet one says Los Hermanos Cilantros and Vivacion. Maybe that's vacation. I I don't really know. I don't really know. Uh, SC Jeremy says the episodes are too short. Let Ger- let GM talk. So we can get at least five hours every week. Five hours every week, Gerard. We just need more weekly surveys, and we'll get there. Uh, RSC, RSC Chindler. Sometimes I listen to the pod while in the shower. That's maybe a little too TMI. But the volume turned up max. I can hear 10K fine. But you have to open the shower door to hear you, Gerard. Uh, seriously, though, your recent interview with Xavier Jordan was gold. Oh, they're replying to you. Sorry, I did not see that. Uh, somewhere you went off topic, but really showed the many interesting facets of this recruit. And your comment interested well. So that's the infamous uh, Tic Tac uh, tangent you went on, Gerard. Look forward to another – look forward to the next season of Dos Cilantros. Thanks again. So here we go. Here we go. More more Mike stuff. More Mike stuff. Eddie, Eddie, our, our fan, or maybe our number one super fan. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's how he wants to be described. I need a weekly 24-hour stream. I need a weekly 24-hour stream. Tom, the Citadel, says it's the only SC podcast I listen to, and that says something. 
that might have been one of the best comments in this. So I appreciate that we are the only podcast that you uh, listen to. Uh, Neatly says, I go to bed listening to Two Star. Is there any way you could speak in softer tones so you can put me to sleep or sing a lullaby? Because right now I'm staying up till 1 a.m. listening to you. Hmm, might explain why I'm hearing Gerard's voice in my head. Gerard, can you give us some sweet tones? Yeah, there you go. Sleep myth. I, you know, it's like ASMR with this new mic. And yeah, I talk about I, the Midlothian. We know I, who the uh, Midlothian is, right, Chris? I don't know. You weren't here last week, so we we have a new thing. It's kind of like the bike racks and Lende okay. and all the other sort of inside thing. I'm, I'm, I'm trying, and, and, you know, the holy hour, we're trying to make Bryant Wesco the Midlothian. He, he He's from the time of Romans, and he is coming to battle, and he is going to become one of the chosen few in the Colosseum, Midlothian. Midlothian. Anti-ethereal, I think the best addition, now this may be blasphemy, but would be the addition of a third star. A certain shotgun would make for some great three to eight hour podcast. Yes, shotgun was three fantastic. That's a big time gap. We already like, go through three to eight, eight hours. Adding, he's saying the addition of five uh, shotgun would be five hours to our already like two 45 hour podcast. Uh, Trojan 2016 007. Throw in a USC fun fact every episode. Every episode, Fourth West SC. Can we wait? Can we occasionally get a live show with a full cilantro crew? 10K Hurricane and honorary cilantro boy shotgun. Yeah, we can make that happen. Shotgun seemed to enjoy himself on this podcast, so I think we could make that happen. No problem. Here we go. Uh, more people want better mic. So again, give us the feedback on this episode. We turn the volume up. His mic is clear. You can hear it in his voice. He's more clear. So give us feedback on that after you listen to this episode. Kama Vorher. Uh, hello, CT and Gerard. Enjoy your show and really get and really get great info on FC. I know you have your schedules, but at the same time, you get info out uh, for the better. Maybe change the symbol from Cilantro Boys. Kind of bland. Here are some ideas. Now, before I attempt to read these, because as as many of you listeners know, it's a running question that a running joke, not really a joke, but I can't speak Spanish and I butcher every goddamn Spanish word that is thrown out here from these li- listeners like on the live stream. And I butcher plenty of lames. So he's given me uh, five suggestions here. Gerard, I don't know if you've pulled it up. I really cannot get on that three. this is taking this like rapid fire like we should have rapid fired this thing a little faster i feel I like know I, if chris realized this was going to take up like the whole podcast going through this whole thread reading each individual uh criticism and uh there's been obviously a lot of people that have said some very sweet things very nice things and we really appreciate that but yeah, i don't i don't know if chris realized what he was getting into when he uh started oh, i, I realized it but it's it just a very different feel from listener questions which could be 900 hours and we're almost done we're almost done gerard but i'm gonna attempt to pronounce these words uh i don't know if i'm, I'm gonna butcher them all and they kind of seem made up, but uh, Huela Coche Boys, Acosil Boys, Magwe Boys. Oh my God, I'm not even going to try that one. This is Polte Boys. Chipotle oh my boys? God. Not Chipotle Boys. It's TZ, 
A-P-O-T-L. I don't know what that is. That looks made up. Maybe you could <laughs> throw some more Spanish in also. No, that, that was me throwing in Spanish, and it was terrible. It was terrible, Cameron Voorhees. Uh, free Kobe, who is, you know, a legendary status on the pair. So ask Gerard about Javid's best parents. I don't know what that means. Maybe that we'll find out what that means sometime. Oh, Javid best. Okay. You uh, Javid's best parents. I'm going, who's Javid's Javid best parents? Are they Javid the, best? The ones that are better than the ones that are not his best parents. Javid best. Oh, his parents, <laughs> his mom specifically, who oh, that's a funny story only because, um, I don't know if I even shared this. I don't know if I've talked to Do you want to save it? Uh, save it? No. I mean, when would, <laughs> when would we ever talk about Javid Best? Like, that's the thing about old stories. I'm just going to, like, randomly talk about Javid Best who didn't end up at USC. But, no, it was a recruiting process, and uh, he had gotten a scholarship offer from USC. I'm trying to remember if he visited USC or it was just after he had the scholarship offer and he was thinking about visiting and I had called him and he was very articulate, very well spoken. And we had a really great conversation about USC, his interest in the program, talking to Pete Carroll and that conversation and how it went. And it was great. And so the next day uh, I'd forgotten to get like his email address or something where I could send him the story. Cause I always send the kids the story, especially if it's a VIP premium story and they can't read it They're You know, they don't have a subscription to rivals or 24 seven sports, et cetera. And so we were with it rivals at that point and I had put the story up and it was, it was a good story. You know, it was probably like a thousand words. And so I, I, I go, Oh, you know, I don't have his, his email. And this was before Twitter. Um, his email, his, oh his email to email and story. Why don't you get his uh, pager number too? Where you're at. <laughs> and so I called uh, the next evening and the mom answered and she goes, she goes, who is this? I said, this is Gerard Martinez from uscfootball.com. And I said, I, I actually spoke to Javid uh, yesterday. And um, I just, I, I had the story and I wanted to get it to you guys so you could read it. Um, but I, I, I didn't get an email. I mean, do you have an email? I can, I can send it to you. I can send it to your email. And she's like, wait, who, who are you from? And, and I go, uscfootball.com. I said, I'm a recruiting analyst with uh, rivals.com. It's, it's part of the rivals network of, of teams. She goes, oh, she goes, I thought you were a coach. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm not affiliated with USC. The site's not affiliated with USC. And she goes, well, I think he thought that you were a coach. And I said, no, I'm pretty sure he didn't because I introduced myself as recruiting at uscfootball.com. And I asked him questions about the coaching staff and the conversation. And then I asked him about other schools too. It's all in the, in the article. It's a great article. He was, he was really well-spoken. And basically, she tried to shake me down for money for a free web, uh, free subscription to the website after that. And I was like, listen, I can't do that. That's that's an impermissible benefit. I can't give you uh, a free subscription and I don't give everybody else a free subscription. You know, I mean, I, I could give maybe like a high school coach a, a, a subscription and then you you could, you know, read it through his thing. But I can't just give parents and everything the benefit because that's like that. That is the uh, that is the definition of an impermissible benefit. It's something that you're getting that not every other kid on the high school football team is getting. You're getting it because your job at best mom and he's a good player. That's that's you can't do that. And I'm trying to explain it. And, and I'm being much more, you know, um, I, I, as being nicer and, and, you know, trying to delegate more than uh, I am just saying it now. 
but you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, really? I mean, come on. Like, and she, and then she's like, she's like, well, you know, I, I'd really rather you uh, just take that article down. We don't want an article up and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I could have like, you know, pushed back on it, but I just, I ended up taking it down and it was up for like, I don't know, a few hours or what have you. But I was like, it's, it is a really nice article. I could, I could send it to you. And she just hung up on me. <laughs> it was so, yeah. And, and I mean, it, it sounded like that was in and of itself, like kind of a, a prelude to how the recruiting process would go with him. And so later on we hear um, that uh, he, he's having in-home visits and USC's kind of still in it, you know, heard from, from jump street that, you know, he was going to be cows to beat. I think his high school coach, Chad Nightingale, has gone to Cal. So, you know, Cal was kind of trying to keep him on the low, but he was blowing up. And uh, the Arizona coaching staff was actually there. And I can't remember if it was Mike Stoops or, or, or what coaching staff was actually at Arizona at that point in time. But they actually go and, you know, they had a relationship with the kid. They fly all the way out there. They go to his house and his mom meets them at the driveway and says, sorry, we're not having any in-home visits. And they're like, what? <laughs> we came out here specifically to see him. What changed? Like, what's the problem? Ah, uh, you know, we're just not going to, we're not going to have any in-home visits. And that was like, kind of, you know, they, they were not happy about that. Let's just say that that got out there. And so um, it was one of those processes that, um, you know, he was kind of basically pushed the cow and uh, everybody else was hamstrung during the process. And I got a big, uh, a big eyeful of that, you know, when I was dealing with uh, him and and just you know trying to write a write a good story, just a you know an accurate story. And like I said, it it it, it, it painted him well and and you know talking about USC and, and Reggie Bush and all that kind of stuff. And we talked about Cal, and it wasn't you know a specific like you know USC love fest or anything like that. But you know that's uh, that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes with uh, trying to cover kids on the recruiting process. What I remember about Javed Best is that Cal played Maryland and Maryland. And I remember, uh, I don't remember who it was, but they hit Javed Best so hard. It was a legendary hit in College Park that he actually started puking on the field. That's the only thing I know about Javed Best. I was at that game, I believe. Nine Fight On 93 says, without question, my favorite podcast. Have an intern do a rapid recap for the weenies that want the Reader's Digest 20-minute version. LOL. Keep it the way it is. Great stuff. And our final comment. Wait, wait. The Reader's Digest version. Our Reader's Digest kind of, I mean, I, I've never actually read a Reader's Digest book. I realize it's what L. Ron Hubbard, who ended up creating Scientology, but I thought those were like big books. Yes, I, go I, off on Scientology. I'm not saying anything about <laughs> okay, you can have your Tom Cruise and all that other stuff. But um, no, the, the books themselves, I didn't, I didn't think they were like small. Oh, I thought there was an addition there. I'm sorry. <laughs> and we're we're ending with a cilantro boy, Mex Trojan O2. The unsubstantiated rumors was a lot of fun. Too bad it was only one episode. I definitely agree that Ger- Gerard's setup needs to be upgraded so you can do video too. Get him that 10 gigabyte fiber. Overall, the shows are really fun. I've learned to read between the lines when GMs drops knowledge. I like that he keeps it real when it comes to how good kids are. How much interest they have in SC and how strongly the staff is recruiting them. It has made crystal ball predictions unimportant. Fight on, cilantro boys. P.S. The Magwe Vatos or Nepal Manos, as in Hermanos, or the official moniker. So there we have it, Gerard. Thank you so much to everyone who participated in the season one finale exit survey. All the nice reviews and comments and feedback. And yes, we are going to fix Gerard's mic. We have fixed Gerard's mic. So 
Let us know how it sounds Pretty in the comments of this episode. Gerard, we're done. Season one is a wrap. 55 episodes for our first year for the podcast. I hope you're ready to go into season two. I am ready for season two. I'm ready uh, to end this one uh, just on that note of that long thread where we were going through it. it reminded me of the olden days of the recruiting rant where I would open up a thread and it'd be like three pages within an hour. And I just like have, you know, nine questions that were all the same question. It's like, please read the thread before you ask your question. So it's not a redundant question. So it's a different question. And it was just like, why can't we recruit receivers in Oregon? They don't have any tradition. So uh, it reminded me of those days of going through the thread and, and answering every question. And instead you read every comment and I hope everybody, um, you know, feels like, Hey, their, their, their input was, was given and it was heard. And certainly again, appreciate all the kind words, 100%. Um, but I'm also sure that several of those people are now regretting how long that thread came. Cause they now going, Oh my gosh, that was a lot of, podcast spent reading that whole thread i'm sure some of them loved it though so that is a wrap <laughs> on season one i'm chris that is gerard and i can tell you one thing that will not be changing in season two that leopard sucks! okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.